Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Terran Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's is a shaving company that will send you razors in the mail, inside of the mail, and then it'll be delivered to your house, and then you open the mail, and there's razors. Uh, I love Harry's. I love using them. I, f- I feel very adult when I do it. I feel very uh, professional. They're nice. They're, it, they come with nice uh, uh, packaging. Um, it's it's nice. It feels weighted. It feels like the closest I've ever felt to wielding a sword is like balancing a Harry's razor on my finger and being like, yeah, well balanced. Uh, this, is, this would uh, shave some hairs pretty well. Um, so, yeah, that's... My experience with Harry's. Uh, Harry's founders were fed up overpaying for uh, expensive razors with unnecessary features. So they bought a factory uh, that's been making some of the highest quality blades in the world for over 95 years. And by selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's can offer their blades at a price much lower than the leading brand. Just $2 per blade compared to $4 or more. And if you don't love your shave, Harry's will send you a, a full refund in uh, within 30 days of your purchase. So uh, we have a special offer for the listeners. Harry stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision, so they created a trial offer. You can claim yours by going to harrys.com slash and that is a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover it's it's beautiful it's wonderful uh so if you want to go there you can uh listeners of the show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash taren that's harrys.com slash taren if you want to redeem that offer and make sure you let them know that i sent you to help support the show he's not human he is like a machine making more podcasts than you've ever seen he was never programmed for a life of his social life. It's the Taryn Show. The Taryn Show. Don't ask if he's single. You already know. Cause it's the Taryn Show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Taryn Show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Taryn Show. Today is a very special day because for the very first time in the Taryn Show history, this uh, illustrious history of the Terran Show. We are live right now on Twitch, uh, on my Twitch channel, Terran Armstrong, and we have got a chat room full of people who are going to be experiencing this uh, along with us live. And not only is it special because we're live on Twitch, but it's also special because I have brought, uh, of course, one of one of the best guests of all time on the Terran Show. Uh, it's Brent Walgamont for part. Four, which is a, a special Q and A version of the Brent Taren show. How you doing, Brent? I'm doing great. I didn't know. I mean, I knew we were going to do part four eventually because we just have to. Uh, but I always thought it would come up in a way like maybe you had scheduled somebody and then they cancel on you, and you're like, oh, "Brent, can you come on? We need we need to do a show." <laughs> but uh, but this one we actually did schedule on our own. So it was like uh, you know, hey, uh, the staircase just came out on Netflix, and I'm getting like lots of DMs from people about it, which I am actually getting a lot of dms from people about it and uh do you want to talk about it so uh here we are 
Yes, uh, I I started watching it um, when it came out. It, it was very confusing at first because I saw this big staircase thing on Netflix, and I, I like I when I looked it up um, on the, the website that I use, which is Tracked.tv, um, one of the thumbnails for the episodes uh, is your face, um, and it's <laughs> like, well, there you go. Uh, and I was like, so did this just come out, uh, or 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 what? And it said like, oh, three new episodes. And I was like, okay, so then it was it was. All just very confusing this this all came out at some point in the past i think it came out in like 2005 yeah exactly the trial took place in 2003 um the these people were following michael peterson around the, the entire d- defense team around the entire time uh presumably waiting for a not guilty verdict and then eventually a guilty verdict came in and they had to maybe spin the way they were going to present the documentary and then uh, in 2005, they eventually put it out as The Staircase. I think it premiered at the, at the Sundance Festival. And it was like a little-known documentary. I mean, I have a copy uh, of the original documentary in my house. Somebody uh, sent me one. And then um, it was... You know, I got a few people who knew what it was. I think it was on the Sundance channel itself for a while. But then it faded into obscurity. And then with the advent of Michael Peterson, his conviction being vacated, and then a new trial being ordered... And all of the machinations that took place behind that. And uh, there have been a couple of different things that have been happening in the news. Obviously, before on the Terrence show, I talked about um, a uh, company that was interviewing me for a, a documentary. This was not the one. I actually didn't know that this was happening until like a couple weeks before it came out. Um, I, I, the one I, I did was uh, an American murder mystery, The Staircase, which was on the Discovery ID channel. Um, but this one kind of came out of the blue. And I saw a question previously in the chat that said, Brent, did you get paid for your appearance uh, on anything to do with Netflix? The answer is no. I didn't get paid for shit. (laughs) I got paid for the other documentary, uh, but I didn't get paid for this one, which ironically is the bigger one because it's on Netflix. And when I... I really underestimated the power of Netflix because I was like, oh, well, you know, it's it's just the documentary from 2005 with three new episodes to update everybody on what's been happening in the trial. I really didn't think it was that big of a deal. But, I mean, I was DMing with Johnny Fairplay the other day, Taryn. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger <laughs> than this, okay? <laughs> yeah, the Netflix, uh, they're very good at their marketing, and they were able to essentially re-release this uh, this old documentary with uh, three updated episodes and uh, and have a ton of new people uh, come and find it. And um, and I mean, it is it is a fascinating documentary. Um, and uh, it goes over this this whole uh, trial with Michael Peterson. Um, somebody asked earlier, uh, do you know why they started to even make this documentary? Was it just because it seemed like they were in on it from before it had even become really big, uh, even as it was happening? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, Michael Peterson was a semi-famous guy in his field and in his town. Um, Obviously, they didn't know anything about... Uh, the second woman who was found dead at the bottom of the steps in Germany, and they didn't know anything about me. So they didn't, the two most explosive things that happened in the trial, they didn't know anything about. But they decided that they were going to cover this, and they actually asked the prosecution as well, hey, can we cover your side of things? So they wanted to cover both, just so the chat understands what's going on. They wanted to cover the prosecution and the defense, and in fact, they did cover the prosecution for about a month 
But eventually, um, because they really wanted access to everything, although there was an embargo on everything that they taped, so they weren't going to reveal anything, the prosecution became uncomfortable with them being able to watch everything and eventually uh, decided to terminate their agreement with them. So that's why it, you only see the defense. And I'm sure these people, it's like anything with like in life where they were just at the right place at the right time. They happen to be videotaping this. Um, it was a moderately interesting story. You know, he's a semi-famous novelist. He'd written like three novels, I think, at the time, Michael Peterson. Um, and his wife ends up dead in a mysterious way, and he's on trial for murder. And little did they know what was eventually going to happen. Yeah. Uh, also, I guess not that surprising that the prosecution was like, hey, stop filming us, given everything that came out later uh, after the fact yeah. with what was going on with the prosecution. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Do you think that the the fact that there was a documentary crew covering the case helped uh, make it a bigger deal at the time or it was really just all coincidence? I think it was probably all coincidence. I mean, I know that Michael Peterson has said that he's thankful for the documentary crew covering everything because they have literally all of the evidence on tape of, you know, Deaver's testimony, who's the blood spatter guy, and uh, all the people at the crime scene. And uh, when, when, not, the, not the first night, but when they went back to the crime scene. Um, and uh, anything that was important in the trial was on videotape. And so I know that he was grateful of that. And I know that the judge was presented with various parts of the documentary to review because it's one thing to review somebody's uh, text on the page, but to actually hear the inflection and the tone and to see it for your own, in, in front of your own eyes, I think was really uh, quite troublesome for the court when they eventually decided to vacate his original conviction. Yeah. Uh, so let's just uh, let's set up what this is for anybody that, that hasn't watched the documentary yet uh, or that um, is unfamiliar with exactly what happened. Um, you know, Michael Peterson was this uh, this man who was married to Kathleen Peter. Peterson, um, and he had uh, two sons prior to this uh, marriage. Yeah, mm -hmm. and two adopted daughters. Um, correct. Yes, and one stepdaughter. It's a. It's right. a. It's like a Brady. It's like Kathleen, a Brady bunch. Yeah. Yeah, and Kathleen had one daughter that she brought to the marriage. Right. 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 Um, and so uh, one day, um, Kathleen, uh, uh, you know, the 911 operators get a phone call uh, from Michael Peterson saying, my wife has, you know, uh, had an accident. Um, she fell down the she's stairs. Bleeding. Right. Yeah, she's fallen down the stairs. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the police arrive. And uh, I think initially they were kind of thinking it was an accident, but then they started to feel like uh, maybe maybe it was something else. Right. Um, and just here's the backstory. Uh, Michael Peterson had been very critical of the Durham Police Department, which is the police department that was reviewing the evidence. He had been very critical of them from a civil rights point of view and for another other uh, a few other reasons uh, concerning progressive politics. And he had called them out pretty much big time in the local newspaper. He had a column in one of the newspapers and he had not been kind to them. Um, sort of like me with like, you know, uh, if all of a sudden uh, Big Brother Canada was like like investigating me, they would be like, oh, so yeah. you call us out here and you call, what about this periscope here? And yeah, okay. Uh, so uh, they were not predisposed to like him in, in the first place, but they're supposed to be fair. Again, they're supposed to be fair. 
Um, and uh, he said that she fell. And I think there was some concern about, well, how do you know that she fell? Uh, I guess because he was sort of guessing that. And there was a lot of blood everywhere. And so uh, eventually uh, what happened was they decided to charge him with murder because they said it looked like you killed her. Uh, Although they didn't have a motive and they didn't know exactly how and they didn't have a murder weapon. And he was saying, you know, look, I think she fell down the steps and, you know, or or at least we think that's what happened. So uh, there was a big mystery that really hasn't been solved to this day about what actually happened to Kathleen Peterson. Yeah. And I I think one of the things that you hear the most uh, over the course of the documentary is like, look at these pictures how could you how could you possibly think that this is all all of this is just from a fall um just the amount of blood and the amount of damage that was done to the body it, it, it seems very suspicious if 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 you look at it from a surface level i guess right exactly however um there were a few things that were odd about it um there were no actual um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there were seven lacerations, but there were, were mm. no points of like blunt impact, you know, like, like where you're hitting something. So they were trouble, had trouble reconciling that with the fact that the, that the a medical examiner eventually called it a homicide. And, uh, everything, uh, was going along sort of swimmingly in the trial. Um, <laughs> where they were trying to figure out what was going on. I mean, obviously this took it took place over like a year, but eventually the trial got going. The medical ex- medical examiner called it a homicide, which that doesn't mean anything other than the fact that the people who work for the prosecutor, the doctor who works for the state, said that she was killed by somebody. We didn't know if it was Michael Peterson or whoever, but somebody killed her, and uh, she said that's what it looks like to her. But then again, she works for the state. And given how much eventually came out with about how much you can believe from the prosecutors, I don't know that I put a lot of stock into her opinion. In fact, I didn't believe her a lick when she was on the witness stand the first time around. Um, And the other thing to keep in mind is that one of the guys who was first on the scene, who was all over that scene from start to finish, was named Dwayne Deaver. And he is the reason that Michael Peterson is walking free today, because he was the, the blood spatter expert. And uh, he was eventually convicted. I'm pretty sure he was convicted of per. I don't want to overstate it. I know he was charged with perjury. I'm pretty sure he was convicted of perjury, but I have to double check my facts. Maybe the chat room can help me. And uh, he uh, fabricated quite a few things about his findings, about his about the way he conducted his experiments, and he also fabricated his uh, backstory, his resume. Uh, his LinkedIn, basically, uh, and uh, said he was a lot more of an expert than he really was. And so that, combined with all the stuff he had said about his findings, was enough to get Michael Peterson's conviction overturned. Yeah, and that was the guy. Uh, I remember there was a scene in the trial where the prosecution was questioning the, um, I believe it was the blood spatter expert from the defense. Uh, and they were talking about like, oh, well, you said that uh, Deaver was one of the best uh, when you signed your book for him. Um, I'm pretty sure that was about Deaver. And he was like, well, what do you want from me? Like, I was just being polite. Yeah, it was, it was uh, Dr. Henry Lee, right? <laughs> Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the guy from uh, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. He, the, the guy from O.J. Simpson, Dr. Henry Lee, testified in his trial at the request of Michael Peterson. And he had, he had signed Dwayne Deaver's book and said, you know, you're to the best or whatever. What, you know, and so, well, yeah, like you, yeah. You're, you're one of the you're best. one of the best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they tried to use that to uh, impeach him. 
Yeah, which like just one of many things to me that was just like, what is what relevance does this have to anything that uh, he was nice and wrote? Uh, you're one of the one of the best. Like uh, you know, pe- people say those sorts of things right. all the time. Um, and that that also holds true with me because remember, the, the, the guys. The only reason I ended up on the witness stand was through a legal loophole that the prosecution used to get me in. To to understand what happened in this trial and how I ended up in the trial, you have to understand this, that my emails to Michael Peterson, remember, I was a sex worker at the time. Michael Peterson had hired me to hook up. To make a long story short, we eventually were going to hook up on a specific night at a specific time. At that time, I bailed on him. Thank God I did, but we'll get to that. But I bailed on him. And, but from the prosecution's point of view, they didn't know that because the emails ended at um, see you tonight at nine o'clock. OK, so they don't know anything. So they brought me in for questioning. They asked me some questions. I answered truthfully. And at the end of that questioning, they said, OK, thank you for your time. We've determined that you're not relevant to the legal proceedings here. And I said, OK, that's the answer I want to hear, because I really didn't want to end up on the witness stand. And then once the trial got going and they started to lose, the, 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 the local press was terrible to them. The national press was terrible to them. They said that they were screwing it up, that they were losing. They didn't have a murder weapon. They didn't have a motive. The motive that they did have was really porous. Um, they needed a game changer. And from my point of view, and I have said this to a few documentaries, and I will say this to you, to you guys here today, that I believe that they were trying to get a hung jury at best. They were going to try to get me in as a witness in order to prejudice the jury, in order to reveal that Michael Peterson is bisexual and that he had tried to hire me and hope for a few homophobic jurors and eventually get a hung jury. That way we can get to a second trial where we won't make the same mistakes that we've made this time around and we'll get him. That's what they were hoping for. And, and the, the way they got me in was it, you hear this on TV all the time. Like when you, if you watch any of these like law and order shows, you'll hear one side or the other say, you know, your honor, he opened the door. That's what they always say. Like whenever they're trying to get somebody in and that's exactly what happened. You think like, Oh, that's just TV, but no, it's real life because the defense in their opening statement had argued that the, the marriage between Michael Peterson and Kathleen was pretty rock solid and in order to impeach that you know anything that your opponent says you can rebut in order to impeach that that's when the prosecution decided to try to introduce the evidence of the emails with me uh him trying to hire me what we were going to do that night all of my naked pictures all of the other naked pictures of all the other guys he had tried to hire and all of that came in because of the defense opening statement which i can argue was a really bad miscalculation on the part of the judge because uh, I know plenty of people who are in uh, healthy marriages who still watch porn on the internet. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's another thing where it's like, I, like that's not exactly a good, a great rebuttal to that statement. And I feel like nowadays it would be harder to make that case. Yeah, nowadays I don't think it gets in. Nowadays I don't even think I end up on the witness stand. But this was 2003. I remember I remember uh, th- th- there was this hearing that was happening. It was on a Friday. I was up, like, stuffed away in some room in the courthouse. My lawyers were downstairs in the hearing. 
arguing that I should not have to testify uh, for a variety of reasons, not least of which it will destroy my life. Um, and uh, at, but, but at the very least, they wanted to shield my identity from the press. They were, they were trying to, to help me in, in trying to keep my anonymity. And they really weren't successful at either one. Eventually, they came up to that room. We talked about it. I went home, and I think the next morning, my picture and my face and my name ended up on the front of the newspaper, and I knew that, like, ah, Taryn, the shit has hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was funny hearing them call you Brad uh, in the uh, documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't... Did they even say Brent in the documentary? I don't... I think they all. I think they only said Brad. Yeah, I think they only said Brad. I think they did that to be consistent, uh, because mm. you know they're trying to present a coherent n- narrative. And various times throughout the prosecution, she refers to me as Brad, even though they did call me Brent on the witness stand. But when they were talking about me before they met me, they talked about a Brad. There's a Brad mm. that Michael Peterson was supposed to hook up with, and he has some sexual tryst with. And let's find out about this. And so it was a, it was I, basically I became more than who I was. It was just like there is some mysterious Brad out there. And, you know, who is he? And who basically who can be the first newspaper to figure out who this guy is? That's what was going on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a there's like a preview of, of of Brad, the Brad to come in, I think, episode two or something along those lines where there's like flashes. of. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had like... a, I had a, a classmate from uh, 20 years ago. Um, I've had a bunch of people like reach out to me from my past. Um, <laughs> a couple of people who I used to work with and a couple of people from my old high school um, who are like, you know, I was just watching Netflix and they all had the same thing, Taryn. They were like, I was watching Netflix and I just heard like while I was doing dishes, I heard your voice and I was like, I know that voice. And I'm like, my voice, my voice must really carry. Like I must have a really distinct voice where people are like, you know, I know that's Brent Wagamot because every one of these people had the same story. They're like, I was doing something. I wasn't even paying attention. And all of a sudden I heard your voice and I knew it was you. And I knew I had to contact you. Like, and then, then, then my one friend was like, I saw these pictures of you and she tweeted them or she <laughs> she sent them to me. And I have, keep in mind, I haven't seen episode two in such a long time. I, I, I had forgotten about some of these pictures and, um, damn, I look good back then, Taryn. So. <laughs> <laughs> It was like I was well, right out of the army. It's well, it's funny too that like people recognize your voice because when you're on the stand and you talked about this in the uh, initial Terran show, uh, like you you were using like a deeper version of your voice, right? Uh, so it's not even like uh, you know the the voice of today necessarily. Right. I was talking more like this, like you know, hello, ma'am, how are you doing? What's going on, Terran? I mean, it was a little bit, but but. As things move along, it fades away a little bit because I'm starting to get more and more irritated with the prosecution. And I've just I've had it officially. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, it's 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 uh, it's says in the chat. uh, Brent's straight voice is scary. I think my straight my straight voice made me a lot of money. So, you know, just telling you. I made well, a lot maybe of money. It's uh, scary, in a, scary in a good way. 
um yes so uh so they're on trial the prosecution is alleging that uh michael peterson used a blow poke uh and i'd never heard of a blow poke before uh before this trial um in order to uh, because it was hollow and it was just hard enough that it could make the lacerations without um uh causing any fracturing which we which would be consistent with a blunt force trauma sort of death right um uh, Megan asks, what is a blowpoke? I don't, I still don't exactly know. I I guess you blow through it. Uh, It's something to do with the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You use it to move the logs around in the fire. And it's also hollow so you can blow through it. Like on Survivor, when you see people trying to get the fire going or trying to, you know, get it to to grow higher, they blow on it a little bit. So if you use the blowpoke, that's how you can do it. <laughs> Sethicus in the chat says, "Ask Brent. I think it's something he offered as an ask." I know. <laughs> Shady bitch. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, they they were alleging that the this blowpoke is the the magic murder weapon that could have made these sorts of uh, uh, lacerations um, on Kathleen. Uh, later proven to basically me be like this is. There's no way that this was the murder weapon. It was very. It was handled very poorly. Uh, I guess the police had initially found it and then put it like put it back somewhere um where it, you know gathered dust um before the family eventually found it uh, and brought it into court um then they discover uh you know they discover that you had been in contact with michael peterson um and uh you know this is what we talked about on the Terran show where uh you had emailed back and forth and you were planning on meeting up but you never actually did do you want to just like uh quickly uh you know talk again about your experience getting the initial phone call um you know through to the trial yeah, I was uh, with my uh, now ex-partner at the time, Mac, and we were in his room and I got a phone call and um, it. when I picked up the phone, the person said, can I speak to Brad, which was my escort name. And so I was like, oh, this is a potential client. And I said, this is Brad. And they said, um, uh, this is the Durham Police Department. We'd like to talk to you. And I was like, holy shit. Like, oh, why are you calling me? But I, I was calm-ish in that I knew that I didn't do anything wrong or at least nothing that they could you know, feasibly catch me for. And uh, I mean, advertising that you're a working boy is not a crime. Uh, so uh, I said, okay, I'll talk to you. And I had no idea. Honestly, looking back on it, and I've said before that I wouldn't change the things in my life, but I hate the fact that I was used as a cudgel for homophobia in that trial. I should, I wish I would have just hung up the phone. Honestly, I should have just hung up the phone. And because you don't have to talk to the police unless you're being arrested and you don't have, you don't have to even talk to them then. Um, uh, when the prosecution asked to interview me, because uh, they said, we would like to interview you, you know, after they describe what happened with Michael Peterson, like, do you remember this guy? And at first I didn't remember him, but then it all starts to come back to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy who I stood up a long time ago. Like, I remembered my conversations with Michael Peterson because we had talked for a while. Um, some people just want to talk to you real fast. They're like, how much are you charging? I've seen your pictures. You're hot. Let's go tonight at 830. Michael Peterson, on the other hand, was a guy who liked to talk a lot. He wanted to have you know he wanted to get to know me and some you yeah as a working boy you just kind of figure out that it takes all kinds basically you kind of have to just you get to know people and you know, and make them comfortable and so that's that's what he was like so uh we had talked quite a bit and i finally figured out who he was and why they were contacting me and it started to like sink in that the person that they were talking about 
on the phone is the same person that I see at the end of The Price is Right every day because me and Mac watch The Price is Right. And at the end of The Price is Right, it's the local news. And the local news always does a write-up on the local happenings. And of course, the Michael Peterson trial was a big deal. And I had seen that quite a bit. And thus, it starts to sink in. Oh my God, the guy who I was interacting with on the phone and email is the same guy who's on trial for the murder of his wife. But I knew I was in the clear because I never met him. And so I'm like, well, I, there's no way that I'm, you know, they're, 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 they're probably thinking that I met him and I'm going to dissuade them of that notion and they're probably going to be really disappointed, which is exactly what happened. I went in to talk to the prosecutors. Um, they were really pissed that I had never met him. They were double and tri- triple checking me in that, are you sure you never met him? And I was like, no. And I even showed, I said, look at the phone records. You can tell. I called him that night and I said, hey, you know, it's not going to work. Um, I, and it was like a really brief phone call. Um, and uh, they had no choice but uh, basically let me go and say, okay, you're not relevant to the case. And then eventually I got a subpoena in the mail about six months later. And I said, what? And I called them up and said, what the hell is this? And they said that they had decided that they were actually going to use my testimony after all. And um, what they did was here. The here. I mean, here's the thing. Here are the facts that we know about the night that Kathleen Peterson died. She was in the den where the computer was, where Michael Peterson had all of these emails stored. He stored all of the emails from me and to me. He stored all of them. He also had printed them out. They were somewhere on the desk. Now, I don't know if they were on top of the desk or if they were like under some papers, if they were like under a drawer, but they were somewhere in that area. Okay. And we also know that she was there for a while that night because she had paid some bills online and, um, I don't, I think she left her laptop at work or something. There was a reason why she was in that room and that's what we know. And then later she was found dead at the bottom of the steps. What the state has said happened was that my emails to Michael Peterson and his emails to me were found by Kathleen Peterson. The night that she was found dead, she confronted him. She was the breadwinner in the family. She said that she was going to leave him. He freaked out, he killed her, and he made it look like an accident. And oh, by the way, there's also a woman 20 years ago who ended up dead at the bottom of the stairs. And wait for it, the last person to see her alive was Michael Peterson. So that's how they got my testimony in as a possible motive and a little bit of a rebut to what the prosecution had, what the, what what the defense had said in their opening statement but um like there's but it's but Taryn and guys in the chat room it has no basis in fact there is no evidence that Kathleen Peterson ever saw my emails there's no evidence that Kathleen Peterson even knew that Michael Peterson was going to meet me one day there's no evidence that Michael Pe- that Kathleen even read Michael Peterson's emails to me there's no evidence that Kathleen Peterson even saw that Michael Peterson was ever going to hire an escort that's just made up out of whole cloth that's just total speculation and the judge let all of that in 
Yes, and Michael Peterson also alleged uh, that she was aware of of some of this stuff, right? That like yeah. um, the, he he was talking about how um, he was openly bisexual with her. That at, least, at the very least, she had an understanding that that was the case, right? Um, and I think one of the things he said was that like if they ever saw military people, she would joke to him like, "Oh, that's just your type, uh, isn't it?" Um, which is something along which lines. was totally his type. I mean that's the only reason he really liked me was because I was, you know, I still had that just out of the army look about me. I still had my hair buzzed. I was still in great shape. And um, he had tried to hire me while, I'm sorry, he had tried to hire me while I was still in the army. That's the thing I forget about. Um, And then um, eventually when I got out, that's when I was confronted with everything that was happening. So um, I, given how many clients I saw whose wives knew about their sexual proclivities, that made total sense to me. You know, I never doubted that for a moment that she was already aware because wives know they always know stuff like that. You know, you, you can't hide something like that. Yes. But, but there was no evidence that she did know because nobody else really knew. Right. Um, so it was, uh, you know, there are conflicting stories there a little bit. Um, and that became a point of contention. And I think it's, it's something that a lot of people, uh, reference back to, um, because of these three new episodes, uh, towards the end, I think in the final episode, he talks about, uh, and he's kind of like, just like monologuing for a bit. Right. So I don't know exactly what the context is for this, but he talks about like, sometimes I, I wonder how, what she would have thought if I had talked to her about my sexuality. Um, he says something along those lines, which, uh, people are like, well, that's, pretty suspicious given that he made the claim that she was very well aware of it um so who who knows right i think that uh my best spin on that is that uh because he never actually testified on the witness stand let's be clear about that he Mm -hmm. he was talking to only practice right exactly he was and he was talking to the camera the, the the documentary people that were following him around um so none of it was under oath um, and what he had said, uh, as far as I know, is that Kathleen knew about it, but it was just not something they really discussed very much. I thought what he was trying mm-hmm. to say at the end when he was having that little monologue was like, you know, if I had been more like more just more honest with her, like rather than like having like a don't ask, don't tell relationship with with these guys, if I was like, you know, if, if I just embraced my sexuality a little bit more and said, you know what, I'm not afraid of this anymore, and let's talk about this rather than just sweeping under the rug. I mean, yeah, she might make a joke every once in a while about, oh, that's your type of guy, but it's just a joke. It's not a real conversation. So I think that's what he was trying mm-hmm. to get to. Uh, on the other hand, I can see from people who don't care for Michael Peterson where that would seem uh, a little crazy. By the way, um, Eric Reichenbach actually tweeted about the staircase, and then Bradley from this past season of Survivor also talked about it and said that he'd watched it in their law school class, and I was just living Mm. for the fact that my Bradley saw uh, the staircase (laughs) and me. That was was really cool. He's just, that's he's funny. so dreamy. I love him. <laughs> I imagine that's like a what not to do. Uh, I know, right? Totally. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, let's see. Is there anything else um, just to give more information? So basically the trial goes through. The defense was very confident uh, about the right. outcome of the trial. And the prosecution was into- very unconfident. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, uh, oh, also, uh, Kathleen's sisters, uh, she's and a bitch. Her, 
<laughs> and her biological daughter uh, all uh, believed very strongly that Michael was guilty. Um, and they did uh, they did take part in some of the documentary. Um, uh, what was what was his sister's name? The main one that uh, made the long speeches. Oh, Candace Zamperini. Candace. Yeah. Yes. Um, she would often uh, make big speeches in the courtroom about uh, about how she wanted her her 15 minutes and she wanted her pound of flesh man she wanted to make sure of that she's a bitch i mean (sighs) i'm telling you what i i can't stand her she and she just she talked about things like at least i'm willing to say look i don't know like i i think this is what happened but i don't know whereas she would say you know absolutely not kathleen would never ever she would never condone something like that i know my sister for certain and she i'm like bitch you don't know you don't know like you you think you know because everybody thinks that they know people you think that you know people and then you i people constantly surprise you so yeah, yeah. And, and what she said was that she believed michael was innocent until she found out about you um at which point she was convinced that he was guilty and it definitely did feel uh based on how the documentary presented at the very least that there was a lot of homophobia involved in uh in her her conviction that that michael was guilty yeah, I didn't really like her much at all, mainly because, I, as you say, her penchant for uh, long speeches, and she was just always, look, and it was so hard to criticize her at the time, because she's the one who lost her sister, so every time that she got a little bit extra, she could always blame it on the fact that, oh, well, you know, I lost my sister, but she really was a bitch, like, I just couldn't stand listening, I just wanted her to shut her pie hole for a while, I mean, I was really <laughs> sick of listening to her. Well, that's that's what my, that's what Michael Peterson said in the documentary. Is that what he and, said? And he updated ep- and, well, he, he was like, uh, he said, um, you know, the only reason this is happening is because of Candace. And if she would have just shut her mouth, then like it would have been fine. And then in the updated episode in the courtroom, when he is when he finally takes the Alford plea, she says uh, that, oh, he he said I should shut my effing mouth in the documentary. <laughs> and uh, I, that makes me feel threatened and um, <laughs> so on and so forth. Uh, I believe. Uh, uh, Jeff in the chat just uh, linked to um, a an, ar- an article or something along those lines that was written by um, uh, by probably Candace, but possibly the other one. Um, if anyone is interested in checking that out. Um, so yes, that happened, and then so th- they're they're confident going into the uh, the jury's um, whatever it is decision, uh, but it turns out the jury decided that Michael Peterson was guilty, and he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, exactly, yeah, he, he yes. was going to die um, in prison. Mm-hmm. And the jury, uh, they said in the document, in the updated documentary episodes, that uh, one of the main reasons they uh, decided to go along with that um, that uh, verdict, uh, they were split. I think fifty fifty um, when they started, and they deliberated for how many days? Uh, I want to say like four. Five? Yeah, four. four or five, somewhere in there. Yes. Um, and uh, and one of the key pieces of evidence that convinced them to uh, declare him guilty was the the uh, testimony by Deaver. Yeah. Dwayne Deaver. Yes. Guy. Yes. So uh, cut to eight years later. There's been many there have been many appeals um, that have uh, 
not not gone well for Michael Peterson. Um, I do believe they managed to uh, get a ruling that there was one piece of evidence that was not yeah a pretty big one they were able to get the north carolina supreme court to invalidate the search warrant and all of the evidence found uh in and around the computer which who does that affect uh moi (laughs) all of the emails to the escorts and to the porn sites and all of that that was totally invalidated by the north carolina supreme court as uh the search warrant i can't really i want to say the search warrant was too broad or something uh, whatever, the police were not allowed to look through the computer. Um, and so because of that, uh, that all of that evidence was thrown out. And because of that, my testimony would have been thrown out. But the judge called it harmless error. I'm sorry, the, the North Carolina Supreme Court called it harmless error, which I don't know how they get to that. Uh, but somehow they did. And uh, Michael Peterson stayed in jail. Yes. Um, and one of the questions I had for you was uh, um, from Kelso. Uh, did you keep up with the case and know there was a chance it might go back to trial? Because uh, the follow up question is, would you have been called as a witness again? Um, I assume not because the search warrant was ruled out. Right. But I didn't know that at the time. I had not kept up with most of the trial ever since because, he, he, you know, I thought the chances of him getting out were slim to none. I mean, this is a really high profile trial. I didn't think anybody in North Carolina was going to let him out. Um, certainly not uh, the then governor or, or anybody that had the power to do anything about it. I thought there was no way they were going to touch Michael Peterson because it was just too much of a, uh, a, a hot topic. Uh, um, everybody had a strong opinion one way or the other in North Carolina. Um, and whoever had these strong opinions, you were not going to be able to convince them otherwise. So there was no, you know, like a there, there was no shining moment where everybody could unite and say, yes, in the, in, in the interest of justice, let's do this. Um, so uh, I had not kept up on much. I was at an airport in 2011. I think I was coming back from, I want to say Vegas or maybe Florida. And um, I got an email in my Facebook Messenger from a woman who said, hey, just wanted to touch base with you. My name is... I think her her name was Diane from Dateline. And she said that uh, because of the advent of the things that have been happening in the Michael Peterson trial, she wanted to know if I had any comment. And I I had no idea what she was talking about. So immediately I go to Google and try to figure out what's happening with Michael Peterson. And I figure out he's been let out. His conviction has been vacated. Orlando Hudson, who was the judge who gave me the original immunity agreement when I testified the first time, I I left that part out. When I testified the first time, I I testified under an immunity agreement because I was trying to avoid testifying because I didn't want to take the witness stand. So I tried to claim Fifth Amendment privileges, and then they gave me an immunity agreement, which forced me to testify, yada, yada. But anyways, this is the original judge. Orlando Hudson was the judge in the original Michael Peterson trial, and this motion to vacate the conviction based on Dwayne Deaver's lying testimony was put before him, and he agreed, which in order to get him to vacate that verdict... I mean, that was his trial. So he's basically saying, yeah, I screwed up or, you know, I let something in that shouldn't have, that shouldn't have been able to come in. And I thought that was pretty amazing. But then it all hits me. Oh, my God. Michael Peterson is out of jail and there could be a second trial. And oh, my God, I might have to testify. But I had made up that. See, I had figured out the legal system by this time and I'd figured out, you know what? I'm not even if they try to even if they try to put me back on the witness stand, I ain't going. I'm not going to drive down to North Carolina for this. And, uh, 
you know, I didn't care. So, but I eventually figured out that North Carolina Supreme Court had ruled uh, most of the things that were found around the computer inadmissible, and thus I probably wouldn't have had to testify in the first place. Yes, and and the judge uh, did also at the end of the documentary uh, give an interview where he talked about how he did regret admitting some of the evidence in, and that if if he had done it, if if he had the chance to do it again, he wouldn't have uh, allowed uh, some of it. I don't know exactly which which parts. But um, uh, he did uh, regret some of those decisions. Um, so, yeah. So once once it's revealed that Deaver is uh, a bit of a, a fraud, um, they uh, they managed to get the sentence vacated. Um, there was somebody else that had been released uh, from prison who was in there for life and found innocent, I believe, um, which sort of inspired them. Right. Um, and eventually, uh, the uh, Michael's original defense attorney, David Rudolph, Rudolph, um, uh, uh, passed passed the buck off to this guy that had gotten this other uh, other guy out of prison right um who then had a stroke right before <laughs> no, um right. sorry the, i don't mean to laugh but yeah that's just that's yes. just their luck yeah yeah um so uh so i uh, so then they argued that uh the case should be dismissed um and they are they argued for an alfred plea and an alfred plea is basically when no contest you, yeah, when you don't admit guilt, but you do admit that there is enough evidence that you could theoretically be convicted. Yep. So uh, you'll get a significant, you'll get a reduced sentence, um, uh, six to eight years maximum, um, and uh, or at least that was that was the deal for this one um and you don't have to admit guilt and that was very important to michael peterson he said he would never admit uh guilt for killing kathleen um well and i think initially the, the people that don't like michael peterson they they, they latch onto this and they're like you know even he's such a narcissist like even when he admits guilt he's still in his head is able to turn it around and is like i'm not admitting guilt you know what i mean like, he doesn't really think mm. he admitted guilt when he entered an Alford plea, even though for the purposes of the government, it is a guilty plea. He is a felon. He served eight years or I mean, he served like nine years. Right. Um, and yes. And he it, it's like on his record, uh, you know, he has of officially murdered Kathleen Peterson, uh, but he has not admitted it uh, despite offering that guilty plea. Yes, exactly. And we don't know what happened. And there's the whole theory about how she really died and yada, 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 which I guess is what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, initially, the, the Alfred plea was taken off the table because of Candace, uh, who talked to the judge and said, I do not accept this. And the judge had been like, well, uh, I'm not going to go against Candace's wishes. Um, but then, you know, uh, they were able to come back with a stronger position once more things had been ruled out um, and they were able to get the Alfred plea. Right. Which, and again, the important thing is that she was able to have her moment. She wanted to have because he's it's a technically it's a guilty plea. She was able to put in a victim impact statement into the court. So basically, she got to get up on the witness stand and talk for however long she wanted to talk, which is what she wanted. That's what she wanted. So she got her moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Uh, and so uh, so by accepting the Alford plea, um, th- again, the, the maximum, was, I believe, was eight years. He served something like nine years. So he was uh, served time uh, had already he'd already served the time. So he was able to uh, go free. Mm-hmm. And um, by this time, he uh, he was broke. Um, somebody in the chat said he civil he settled a civil lawsuit with Kathleen's daughter um, for a large amount of money is that do you know yeah about but that? it's never been paid i mean he just doesn't have the money to pay for that he couldn't even pay the money to keep rudolph as an attorney so exactly yeah, i mean like basically was, uh, in, it would be it would be like me winning right? a judgment against you for being a terrible podcaster you know <laughs> <laughs> and me like for a, a judgment of five billion dollars and you're you're like good luck with collecting that brent <laughs> yeah um yes so so that was um obviously one of the reasons why uh david rudolph was not willing to do the trial pro bono um he uh uh michael peterson was declared indigent i believe right. uh which means that he was unable to afford he got a lawyer, no money which means that the, <laughs> the state paid for him to have a public defender um and uh which which like he paid a lot of money initially when the like that's where all his money went um he uh the, i think the trial cost him some uh, close to close to a million dollars or something right yeah yep yeah um so uh so basically a lot of people are asking uh and so we should get your your opinion on this brent uh why accept the alford plea if you're innocent why not go to trial again to prove your innocence especially with all this evidence now declared not admissible I think that he didn't want to. In fact, I think both parties had to be talked into this. Candace didn't want to go along with the Alford plea. Michael Peterson didn't want to go along with the Alford plea. But his kids were like, Dad, you're out of jail. That's all that matters. We don't care if you're technically a convicted felon or not. You're here. You can see your grandkids. If you accept this plea, I mean, sure, on paper it says that you're accepting guilt, but that doesn't mean anything. We love you. We want you here with us. We can't take you going back to prison. If you insist on another trial, there is the possibility that you could go back to prison, however small. And I think that he that that weighed really heavily on him. And uh, like I said, once Candace got the idea that she could give an impact a victim impact statement uh, because it is a technical guilty plea and he's guilty in the eyes of the law and a convicted felon and all that. I feel like that she was happy and that's how they eventually got to this point. But uh, I know neither one of them really agree with it. Like she wanted him to go to trial because she wanted to see him guilty and go back to prison for the rest of his life. And he wanted to roll the dice, but I think he gave way to what his family wanted to do. Yes. Uh, Jeff said guilty versus innocence isn't really even a consideration to me with the plea deal. It's just the rational move, in my opinion. And yeah, I mean, you kind of have to agree. I personally think he would have been found innocent based on my understanding of the evidence. But I thought that the first time around. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's why, like, I think a huge part of this came from the fact that they were so confident the first time and uh, sort of like when you play Survivor and you're very confident and then you get voted out out of nowhere, you're a little bit gun-shy the next time around when it comes to, like, uh, you're going to be a little bit more paranoid and you're not going to want to take as many risks, I feel like. Or you could be like Laurel and never take any risks the first time around. (laughs) oh i'm sorry too soon yes (laughs) Uh, 
and and I think that was part of his argument too is that like look at all of this prose- prosecutorial misconduct um, why would I trust in this same system to not do these same things again uh, to me um, because obviously this is a huge black mark on uh, on the 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 whole uh, prosecution and the, the government of the state and and everyone and that's why I, I'm sure they didn't want to um, just like flat out dismiss the charges they wanted to uh, have some kind of guilty plea so it's like well we didn't make that much of a mistake yeah and by the way the prosecutor who took the place of Jim Harden who was the original prosecutor in the Peterson case she's a complete nut man like she She's a mess. She got into a fight with the judge. She got into with she got into a fight with Orlando Hudson, who is the most chill dude ever. Okay, and I mean, like, I don't even know how that happened. So the, she was just a mess, and I don't even. I, I mean, I think that basically the prosecution didn't even trust itself to get a guilty plea the second time around because they again this would have been having a trial about by the time it actually got going, it would have been like twelve years after the fact. They wouldn't have had me available to testify. Not that I mattered in the first place. I don't even think I should have been there. Um, but they wouldn't have had the emails. They, all of the, some of the witnesses had died. They would have had to, the people that were still alive, they would have had to reconstruct their memories from what they said the first time around. If they differed at all, they would be subject to cross-examination. Like, hey, you said this eight years ago, and now you're saying this. What gives? And, of course, like I said to you in my first interview with you, Taryn, when I was trying to remember everything that happened with Michael Peterson, like... Things just don't come back to you as naturally when they take place like 5, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, like, I just can't remember everything that happened. And eventually, sometimes things click in your head and you're like, oh, I remember that. But only after your memory being jogged by something else. Yeah, I mean, like, trying to imagine, like, oh, yeah, let's let's talk about something where the details are incredibly important. It happened 15 years ago. Um, so, like, okay, so I'm 11 years old. Uh, like, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, going to be very difficult. Um, uh, somebody's asking, uh, what happened? Uh, uh, Megan is asking, what, can you explain what happened with the prosecution? Um, so obviously part of what we talked about uh, with Deaver, he was basically a fraud. Uh, he oversold his credentials. He had manipulated evidence, I believe, in the past. Um, so that was that was shady business. Um, there was the whole blowpoke thing. Uh, you have to imagine that the prosecution was lying about the blowpoke because the, the cops had found the blowpoke at one point and they declared it missing even though they had put it back. Um, and then there was some other stuff where they, uh, and, you know... And just to, right, and just to be clear, this is the same prosecuting office that was in charge of the Duke Lacrosse case. Okay, and just to be clear for everybody, the Duke Lacrosse case was a case where a prosecutor used a girl who was saying that she had been raped by these three white lacrosse boys from Duke. She was lying. He knew she was lying, and yet he still kept going after them. He still kept trying to get a conviction. He still kept trying to put them on trial. He, I mean, I'm not, I'm not attacking her. She was obviously a troubled girl, and she was making some things up. But the prosecutor knew that she was lying, and he was on the defense team from, for, on the original prosecuting team for Michael Peterson the first time around. So that's the kind of office that they had. And like I, I've already told you that the prosecutor who was in charge of the second Michael Peterson trial was a complete nut in the first place. So, I mean, like ever since Jim Harden left, the people in that office are, have been just 
cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, and I've got to say, watching the documentary, especially the first part of it that dealt that dealt with the trial, I was very frustrated with the prosecution. Just like it seemed like all of their arguments were entirely based on emotion like i said the way that they were trying to discredit the uh the blood sp- the defense blood spatter expert and also get him to like oh well we caught you we caught you being nice to our guy that means you can't contradict him on a professional level um they uh the uh, the female prosecutor in particular as we've talked about uh, really slamming home the uh deviant behavior he of was michael peterson Asexual, y'all. Yes. This was pure tea filth. I don't know how many times my ex Mac would call me up on the phone and say, "Hi, can I speak to Mister Pure Tea Phil?" <laughs> like, that's what she called me. Okay, I mean, like, I might have been a sex worker, but I wasn't. You know, I wasn't filth for God's sake, Taryn. I mean, I was trash. <laughs> I was trash, but I wasn't filth. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh and, and even like i said like they just kept showing the uh the the picture and being like this couldn't possibly be from a like to me that has no relevance like to say look at this there's no way it could be of an accident uh like these people are not experts they can't come to that conclusion the fact that that's even being asked uh i just felt like is is ridiculous in, in and of itself um uh, so uh, when I was watching this documentary, I, I personally felt, uh, first of all, that uh, that Michael Peterson should have been found innocent oh, based yeah. on the evidence that I saw. Yeah, 100 um, percent. And and second, I even I, I was I, I was on board. Like, I think I think he's probably innocent. I think he genuinely probably is innocent um, after the fact, uh, you know, seeing the updates and also reading more about the case. There is some evidence that I think the documentary left out um, that a lot of people are like skeptical about. Right. Uh, which make makes me doubt like, OK, maybe he's not innocent, but I still feel pretty strongly that there wasn't enough evidence to convict. Um, but uh, I want I obviously we want to get your thoughts on the matter uh, uh, with, with both things. What do you think that he should have been convicted um, either time, you know, either, you know, back then or now? Do you think he should have had a harsher sentence uh, or and do you think he is genuinely innocent? Well, 100 percent. I agree with you. As I mentioned the first time around, I, I don't think there was any evidence to convict him. I mean, reasonable doubt was all over the place. In this case, if you were willing to look for it. In fact, I think at times it was staring you in the face. Um, As to him actually doing it, um, I've always contended that in my gut he didn't do it. Uh, Mainly because I knew that the prosecution was making up the motive that had to do with me out of whole cloth. Like that never happened. Their whole theory about her finding my emails and confronting him. Like that's just completely made up. That is no basis in fact whatsoever. Um, and I also know that they told me I was irrelevant to the testimony initially, and then they decided, okay, we're going to use you because we need a like we need a bomb in the court. We need some. We need a game changer. We need something to alter the course of this trial because we're losing right now. Now they never said that to me, but it was clear to me that that's what they were doing. Um, so there's all of that. On the other hand, as I told Fairplay, because Fair, Fairplay asked me the same question when he was DMing me, like, do you think he did it? And I'm like. The one thing that gives me pause is that if he didn't do it, who did? I mean, like, because I don't think she fell. 
there's way too much blood for a fall. On the other hand, Deaver was all all over that crime scene, but I'm like, I don't think he like just like he he wasn't like like uh, Garfield with the lasagna. He wasn't like this with the blood, you know, like putting it everywhere. So it, it was probably in that spot when the cops came, and thus. If that's true, then it looks to me like she was murdered. And if he didn't murder her, then who did? And obviously that leads you into the owl theory and it leads you into maybe somebody else killed her. And I mean, I I just believe that Michael Peterson did not kill her. Uh, I think it is odd that that his previous friend who he adopted her kids, she was also found dead at the bottom of the stairs. But I also know that weird things have happened to me in my life that you could call like happenstance or weird, like double occurrence or whatever. And you look at it in, in amazement and I, I just don't think that's enough to convict him. And so I think definitely there was reasonable doubt. And my gut says he didn't do it. Um, I do believe him when it, when it comes to him and Kathleen. Like, do I think that she knew he was trying to meet me the night that he was trying to meet me? No. Do I think that she had an idea that overall he was meeting guys on the side to get his jollies? Yeah, I, 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 I definitely believe that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sort of the thing where it's like I know a lot of people, um, and because I, I, I looked on the the subreddit for the documentary, and I've I've read up on other things, and I know that a lot of people are like, oh, he, the he's he's a psychopath. I I can tell he's creepy. His daughters are creepy. Um, like uh, it's just it's obvious that he's a he's a murderer. Um, and and also like the evidence that I talked about that that was uh left out. I think some of the more damning evidence is that um there was some evidence uh on her neck that could have indicated that she was strangled um which obviously would be inconsistent with uh a with fall. a with a right. fall um and there was also i think i think it's called the luminol test that showed that there was an attempt to clean up some of the blood that uh that you know was inconsistent with michael peterson's story um which would obviously indicate some kind of foul play uh if it's real, um, if, if it's genuine. Right. Um, uh, so like those, those things are kind of, uh, suspicious. Um, but like I said, like, I, I feel like given the amount of, uh, uh, I think reasonable doubt that there is, like, I think it's, uh, the, the chances of, r- you know, wrongfully convicting somebody who just got unlucky are too high for the oh, yeah. you know benefit of locking up a person who you know may or may not right have and that's this. the whole point of our justice system why people say that our the american justice system is the best justice system in the world which i know some people who might disagree with that but that's what they say in our country and the reason they say that is because we would rather uh 10 guilty men go free rather than one mm-hmm. innocent man go to jail that's why the standard for proving someone's guilt is so high but I can't explain what happened in this case. I don't know how 12 people came to decide, you know, yes, there is no, I mean, there, they can look at each other in the face and go, there is no reasonable doubt here to not convict Michael, Michael Peterson. Like he's guilty. How do you get to that point? I, I, I wanted to shake them and go, so like you really bought what they were telling you? Like what, what's the motive? What do you think happened? I, anyway, whatever. I, I, I just can't with that jury. 
Uh, I mean, my my read on the jury is that when they said that Deaver's testimony was like one of the more important parts, I think probably a decent amount of them were covering for the fact that uh, there was some prejudice there. That was one of the more important parts. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, so there are some there are some theories out there for what happened. Um, I think the most one of the more plausible defense theories um, is that she did have, I believe they're saying in the chat, a point zero seven. uh, alcohol le- level, whatever they call mm-hmm. it. Um, she had been a little bit, uh, I don't I honestly don't even know how drunk that is. Um, but it's, uh, it's tipsy. Yeah, she was, she was a bit tipsy. And then she also had taken some sort of sleep medication that, uh, would obviously, uh, um, Valium or Xanax. Mix, yeah. Yes. Mix with that. That would cause some, uh, I imagine some kind of dizziness and that maybe she had fallen down the stairs, uh, then gotten back up and maybe slipped on her blood. And then, uh, you know, that, theoretically could have happened something along those lines um so that that could have been how how she died uh you know i then uh, i don't know how to explain the potential you know cleanup that happened um i, know I mean there were i can towels. I, oh, yeah. I i think that it's possible that michael peterson did realize that uh I mean, I don't know how I would behave if my significant other ended up dead at the bottom of the stairs. And if I started to, you know, help them and then I realize they're dead. And so I'm waiting for the cops to come and I start, you know, just absentmindedly cleaning up or I I got it all over my shoes or I'm tracking it everywhere and I start to clean it up. And then I realize, oh, my God, I shouldn't have started to clean that up because they're going to want this as evidence. But I don't want to look like I'm trying to hide something. But, you know, like, I mean, it can... You know, who who yeah. knows how you behave that night? Yeah, and that's true. I mean, it could have even been, like, if he's in shock, then, like, you're not thinking straight. You could just, like, sometimes your mind will only focus on one thing at a time, and you there's blood everywhere. You're like, well, I got to clean this. And then you're like, well, what, what am I doing? Um, and then, you know, again, once people start, uh, I mean, if he had admitted to, you know, cleaning up the blood, maybe it would have been an easier conviction. Who knows? Um, but uh, so so that that is one theory. Um there's another theory, the the owl theory that you mentioned. Um, I know a lot of people want to get your thoughts on the owl theory. Uh, Stephanie Townrow tweeted about it. There's been a lot of people in the chat room here um, that have tweeted uh, that have messaged about this. Um, what do you think of the? First of all, can you explain the owl theory? And then, uh, what are your thoughts? There is on a it? guy who was a friend of Michael Peterson who, after he was convicted, I want to say like three years after he was convicted, and I'm I'm guessing it could be two, it could be five, I don't know. But he was uh, it was after he was convicted and he decided to basically um, do some digging and he found some evidence in one of the inventory kits uh, about about Kathleen that there were feathers found in microscopic feathers that were found in her scalp. Uh, right. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm I think I'm being correct about this. Um, and there, there were definitely feathers found at the scene is what I'm trying to say. I'm pretty sure they were found in her scalp, actually. Um, and. Um, he was somewhat well-versed in the fact that there were, could have, I think there was an owl attack previously in the neighborhood, like one of the great horned owls with these big claws. And if you look at the, uh, like, if you look at the lacerations on the back of her skull, like without her hair, it very much looks like a talon, like a, like a three pronged talon that would grab you. Um, and I'm looking at the chat to make sure that I am not just making shit up. Oh yeah. Feathers in her hair and in her hand. I think exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so they said that 
uh, because they had these double doors that led outside to the pool that an owl got in, and they frequently kept them open, that an owl got in and that got tangled in her hair and that she was trying to fight it off, and and she was obviously a little cocktailed, and that that's how it happened. Like, the owl attacked her, she fell on the steps, the owl is, like, scraping at her, and then she tries to get up, and then she falls back down, and that's how the blood gets everywhere because of the owl flapping its wings, and then the owl leaves, and then it looks like Michael Peterson killed his wife, so... That's basically the owl theory, and it's just plausible enough to be true. Like, I think I said originally that I didn't really buy it, but after I've dug into it a little bit more, like, I mean, it's totally fucking nuts, but it, I guess it could be true. I mean, like, there's owl feathers found in her hair and her hands. Like, that can't be a coincidence. And obviously, the yeah. co- the prosecution would never have put them there, so they must be legit. So, I know. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> Sienna in the chat says, if the owl fits, we must quit. Um, yeah, I mean, you hear the owl theory, and it sounds like crazy conspiracy theory kind of stuff. It sounds like, uh, oh, there was a second shooter in the grassy knoll. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when you're talking about a case where there is no good explanation, uh, I, you know, I feel like, is this reasonable doubt? I don't know. I feel like it's theoretically reasonable. Uh, people are saying, like, you know, there, there are even signs that warn people of owls because there are attacks in that area. Um, and they did find... Uh, you know, um, feathers. Uh, people said there should have been more feathers if there was an attack. Like she would have been fending it off. Um, but uh, but but who? I don't know how many feathers come off. And an owl how, attack. how the hell would owl feathers get in your hair? Like I don't have any owl feathers currently in my hair. So how the hell are they just going to appear in her hair? I like um, Iconic's question in the chat that said um where did it go like you guys talk too fast um the butterfly oh yeah is this what ha- is this what the butterfly tried to do with Polly Calafiore yeah exactly <laughs> that's why he started to cry because he was scared of the butterfly it was going to like get in his hair and scrape him up yeah yeah, it's, it, Megan, Megan, it sounds like one of those theories that a defense team would use when they know their client is guilty, says Megan, uh, which again, yeah, like it sounds nutty, but I, I feel like it is something that is theoretically possible. Um, so, you know, uh, who knows? Uh, so that's the owl theory. Then there's uh, another theory that um, that one of his sons had actually committed the murder and that he... Uh, you know that he potentially knew about it and was covering up for his son um and i don't know too much too many details i think this is one of those things it's like well i thought the son seemed pretty sketchy so like uh well, I maybe think that's it's, what happened right and i think it's the, uh two sons uh clay uh oh wait i forget which one who's who basically the hot one is not the one that did it like i think it's the other son like there are two sons one of them is a really hot guy and the other one's a bit of a hot head uh, and then the hothead is the one I think that everybody thought that he was maybe covering up for. But there's never been any evidence that he was at the house that night that I know of. And I mean, that's just, again, speculation made out of, out of whole cloth that Michael Peterson, who would probably be pretty protective of his son, would, would try to shield him from murder. Lucas says, thank God it wasn't the hot one. I know, right? That would be such a disappointment. That, you know, honestly, um, I can't remember who was it the other day, or or it was like the other month, who died. Oh, 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 the guy from the Fast and Furious. What's his name? Um, Paul Walker? 
Yeah, dude, when Paul Walker died, the first thing I thought, and I said this to my friend, he was like, God, you're terrible, was like, that's such a loss of a great dick. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, that's some great dick, Taryn. And he's no longer going to be on this earth. Like, that's such a tragedy for all the women and gay men out there. Like, I can't believe that a guy that hot just died out of nowhere. Like the you know, level of, why, of great dick has just gone down. Why couldn't it have been an ugly person that died that day? <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> for the record, uh, I do not endorse the anti-ugly people <laughs> messages. I'm just like it was. It was such a tragedy. I messaged my ex and I was like, "Can you believe that this guy is dead? Like we used to lust after him ever since Joyride. Like, do you remember that movie Joyride?" You know, I don't. Oh my I don't god, think so. it was the best movie ever. Uh, I won't get into it, but there's a great scene in Joyride with him and another guy. Um, anyway, they they. Uh, I've just been in love with Paul Walker and into uh, to see that he's gone. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know how I got on Paul Walker, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, and then another theory, and and this is the one I think that is the most uh, you know sort of Michael Peterson is probably guilty, much more believable than the blowpoke uh, oh. theory. Um, is that uh, Michael strangled her um but not like strangle strangle because there wasn't enough uh, right. bruises on her neck but maybe uh you know pushed her down the stairs and then uh followed her down took her by the neck and then banged her head against the wall a few times uh <laughs> which could have i don't i don't again I don't, i'm not a blood spatter expert i'm not a you know medical professional i don't know if this could have made the markings that that ended up happening but uh some people think oh well okay that could have also had enough uh, uh the same level of force that it could have made these uh these contusions or whatever without uh any without fracturing the skull um and so they're thinking maybe that is how he uh he did it um uh, personally i feel like if if it was that, that like that seems very simple to me like that seems very right. like it feels like the experts could have figured that one out um to me <laughs> like uh that feels like it would be pretty common of a thing to for murderers to uh to to do um and so the fact that they not only uh didn't present that case at all and they came up with this ridiculous blowpoke theory but like i don't uh, like why did they need to go out of their way so much to 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 explain away this murder if if it was something simple like that yeah, I don't know. Maybe they weren't that smart. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, look, just to be clear what happened. I mean, I think that Jim Harden, the guy who was the main prosecutor for the uh, for the state, um, he's actually a pretty honorable guy from what I understand. Um, I think he tried his best, but he was uh, surrounded by a bunch of incompetent people. Like I said, Mike Nifong was the guy who, who was on his team, um, who was eventually disbarred from the Duke lacrosse case. Freda Black, who was the assistant district attorney who who uh, did my initial testimony, she um, ran for district attorney twice and lost both times. And now I think she works at a dry cleaners and looks like she's been hit by a truck. I mean, she she's got a, like a mugshot out there. Yeah. She was arrested for, uh, I think, uh, her second uh, DWI. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. She's falling on hard times. Hi, Freda. She, Love you. <laughs> uh, she, uh, she may be one of those people that uh, you would be less um, ha sad about losing. Yeah, exactly.
uh, based on uh, the new pictures. Um, so, uh, so yes, um, it, it just it seems weird to me. Uh, the, people are asking about uh, was there blood on on Michael's shirt? I believe there was not much blood on his shirt um and it definitely there definitely wasn't blood that would be consistent with him uh uh being like beating somebody to death or anything um which was uh, detrimental to the case um all right so uh you want to so take some questions? some questions yes Yes. Um, one from Jason McDaniel, who wants to know, uh, the staircase, like making a murderer, are, are very sympathetic to the defense point of view. Um, from being so close to the case, was there anything the documentary left out that you feel is strong evidence that Michael did do it? We did just talk about some of the uh, evidence that was left out. But how do you feel about this idea? Because I've heard this a lot, um, that the documentary was very, very pro Michael Peterson. It was very sympathetic to him. And in fact, um, he, uh, from what I've heard, was actually dating one of the editors right. for the documentary for a period of time. Right. I don't know if that had any impact on it, but you have to think it probably did. Um, I mean, they were showing one side. Look, they were the only side that they were showing was the side that would would let them show the story. So I understand why they were more predisposed to favor the uh, defense side of things. Um, the other thing that the documentary left out was there was a life insurance policy that I don't think they really touch on that was one of the other motives that the state was using in the case to prove uh, why Michael Peterson might have killed Kathleen. Um, but the reason that that is sort of discarded is because the prosecution introduced that and then they kind of never came back to it because they went on to me. They said that, well, OK, the real reason why he killed her is because of this. Like, you can't have it both ways. Like, it can't right. be, oh, like he killed her for this money. Oh, but then he also killed her in a fit of rage the night that Kathleen found these emails. So I don't know how to square both of those things together, but uh I, I think that's something that a lot of people who believe Michael Peterson is guilty grab onto the fact that the, that the documentary really downplayed or even didn't even discuss the life insurance policy. But the life insurance policy was only like $200,000, which I just don't think is enough money for you to kill somebody you've been with for 25 years. I mean, that's that's not a lot of money I, to kill somebody and risk going to jail. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't even think yeah. I, I wouldn't kill somebody for five million dollars. <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, apparently he was in some debt, I guess. Uh, but uh, I mean, from what I recall, like she had a decent like she was bringing money in. Or I guess I guess she was potentially about to lose her job. Um, so like, I, I guess people people are saying like theoretically he could have been down on uh, on his luck in terms of money. And so he would have needed to, you know, do this. But then I believe the insurance policy wasn't even taken out for him. Like it would have gone straight to his daughters. Right. Um, so. You know, who knows who knows how uh, credible that motive is. Uh, also, the what the the jury explained that they convicted Michael Peterson for first degree murder, uh, despite believing in the, the theory that it was in a fit of rage because they they said the, the logic was that, well, within the few seconds when he decided to do it, he planned it. Like, that was such an absurd reasoning to me. Right, I don't they've know. actually had that on a law and order at times where you can get somebody for premeditated murder because in the moment where they, like, grabbed the murder weapon and then and then moved over to kill them, they formulated the plan to kill them. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, that's... <laughs> 
Like, if that's what the law is, it needs to be changed. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, I mean, isn't that isn't isn't it like isn't it manslaughter if it's like in a fit of rage, an accident happens and somebody dies, and then it's it's not for it's the what, third degree murder or whatever. What I don't know the d- different degrees, but it, first degree means it was premeditated and planned and not due to emotional distress, right? So like uh, it it's all, it always feels uh, it f- it feels very strange to me that, that whole line of reasoning was just like uh, it just feels like you really wanted to uh, to get this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's how it was. But on the other hand, that's what makes our system our system is because it's an adversarial system. It's not there is no search for the truth. I mean, you like to think and this is the thing that really got me when I went through the case is that nobody gave a shit what the truth was. They just wanted to win. The prosecution wanted to win and the defense wanted to win. Nobody gave a shit what the truth was. They didn't care about the reality of my relationship with, with Michael Peterson. They didn't care if Michael Peterson really did it. It was all just about winning. But that's yes. our system. Uh, Thor Fist in the chat says, uh, first degree is premeditated, but you can premeditate in a moment. Uh, but but to, then it, to me, <laughs> and I am no legal expert, to me, it feels like uh, if you can premeditate in a moment, then there's, there's, there's basically no separation between premeditated and something that you decide to do in the moment, in the moment, right? Like what's, what's the point in differentiating, I guess. Um, but uh, um, Doom Tribe wants to know, have you ever had any contact with the adopted daughters? Never. And I know people want me to. They're like, we love the daughters. I know people like they stand Margaret. Um, they love her in the staircase. I think she's awesome. She's cool. But I was probably a pretty painful like reminder of their dad's case, you know, in, insofar as the trial goes. I have never had any contact with anybody from the Michael Peterson case uh, I, I mean, I, I haven't had any contact with anybody. I'm trying to think of anybody who I even said hello to. Um, when, when, uh, when this, when, uh, the staircase came out on Netflix, David Rudolph, who is the defense attorney in the case, decided to do a write up of every day. Uh, like basically like, here's what I was thinking during chapter one. Here's what I was thinking during chapter two. And I sent him a message, but that's the first message I've ever sent since, uh, I originally testified in the Michael Peterson trial. There you go. Um, no, not even his hot son, uh, <laughs> our Mads. But and I heard, I heard he's still hot too. Like mm. you know, and I'm just saying. <laughs> it was a very that's like one of the more compelling parts of it is this sort of dynamic where uh, there are these adopted daughters whose mother died in somewhat Germany, similar circumstances, yeah. uh, but uh, and then this this man adopts them. And then their new stepmother dies in a way that at the bottom of a staircase. Um, and they are put in a position where they have to uh, believe their father, um, despite there being some evidence to go the other way. There is plenty of doubt either way. Um, and not only do they have to believe their father, but now they have a, a stepsister that is fully believing that he is the murderer. And they have these aunts that are fully believing that... Uh, he is a murderer and, and, and the entire country now believes that he is uh, a murderer, especially once he's convicted. Um, right. And so there's this family infighting and then there's, I'm sure, a lot of internal struggle. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's, it's all just very like I, I often found myself thinking, like, what would I do here? 
Well, the worst part of the trial, and I'm sure the chat room will agree with me, is that when the, when the verdict came in and you saw those children just breaking down and absolutely sobbing, it was mm. one of the saddest moments I've ever witnessed on television before. It was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and, uh, I felt, te- I felt terrible for them. I really did. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And is, and then especially once you get the, uh, the, uh, assistant prosecutor lady, like, uh, like cheering and high fiving, um, yeah. as you see the three like children in the back, like sobbing, um, and uh and again like i i was really i really heard a lot of comments like uh oh they're they're like cult members uh these creepy daughters um like uh man <laughs> I, I found them to be pretty normal considering the circumstances yeah um and uh and i also found their loyalty to be admirable um given i think you know everything that happened uh, but but some people some people uh, I don't know I I I I found lo- I found loyalty to be an admirable trait um, but some people find it naive I guess I love they, that they that's so cool because I would think that you don't find it to be an admirable trait considering you're such a gamer like you just stab right, yeah. anybody in the back you know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I mean, that's probably why I, I'm a little like less harsh on people like Cody, uh, and from Laurel. 16. Oh. Uh, and, and Laurel, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kim wants to know, how did you maintain your witty demeanor while you were testifying? I didn't realize it was you until I heard your snarky replies. I would have been a mess. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to answer this question. Um, I can tell you that, like, as I told Taryn the first time around, I was using at the time. So I was, I was technically high on the witness stand. But as I've said to Taryn previously, I, I mean, I wasn't high. I was just normal Brent. Um, because I'd been using for so long. And so, uh, I had taken drugs that day to get back up to what normal was. If I didn't take the drugs, I would be down in and withdrawal. So I was, I, w- I was at a normal level. I wasn't like high or anything for like I had taken heroin or something. But uh, I think that part of it was just nervous energy. I think part of it's the fact that I'm a bit of a show off. Um, and I, I sort of like had to laugh at the absurdity of everything. Like I honestly thought it was just in fucking credible that i am on the witness stand in the michael peterson trial with the cameras right there with the jury right there with the judge right there with my naked pictures being shown to me in court and answered as evidence like i mean i made a joke in the rob as a podcast patron group like that that was the, the the way they got me in was to authenticate the emails that I had sent back and forth to Michael Peterson. And it was just like, you know, is, is this you? Is this your dick? Is this your dick? Is this your dick? You know, like, so, <laughs> I mean, they didn't say it like that, but that's, but they were kept pointing to like, is this your email? Is this your email? Yeah, exactly. So that's how they did it. And I was just, I was just amazed at the circus atmosphere that I, I, I told Taryn this before that I like, I mean, I never predicted that this was going to happen to me, but somehow I was unsurprised that I eventually ended up in some crazy thing like this. Like, it's just like, that's just the kind of thing that happens to me in my life. Like, I I end up in fantastic situations, you know? I don't know how to explain it. Um, uh, Doom Tribe says, uh, Brent on the witness stand felt like an LFC audition reel. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you if you watch my original LFC uh, audition, I uh, I was probably pretty similar. Like, uh, I'm, I was a little bit more prim and proper, like a little bit more butch, a little bit more straight, a little bit more hetero. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, instead of hey, you know, instead of <laughs> hey. Hey, Taryn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Megan wants to know, if not for the Peterson trial, would you have told, would you have ever told your parents about being an escort? <sighs> I think the, the thing is, is that my parents, they basically knew. They just didn't know. Like, they knew that I was doing something, making extra money. They just didn't know how I was doing it. I think that, you know, they didn't know all of the gory details. So they kind of knew, but I probably would not have told them if not for Peterson. Uh, Burn this wanted to know, how much were you prepared ahead of time by the prosecution? Did they try to get you to change your demeanor or did they just let you be you? Well, remember, I was testifying essentially as a as a hostile witness. I mean, they didn't call me that in court, but that's what I was. Uh, I did not want to testify. I was on the side of the defense. I wanted to avoid testifying at all costs. So, uh, no, the prosecution did not work with me. In fact, I wasn't having any conversations with the with the prosecution after our initial meeting. When they once they sent me the subpoena, that's where you hear me on episode six of the staircase calling the defense, going. Hey, uh, Mr. Rudolph, my name is Brent. I'm known as Brad in the newspapers. Uh, I just want to talk to you and I need some help. Basically, I was it was a cry for help. Like, I needed help. And the only person who I thought could give it to me was the person who was working against the prosecution, which was David Rudolph. Yes. Uh, Maddie Ice wants to know, when you were an escort, what was the easiest gig and the most sketchy one you ever had? The easiest gig, I think I even told, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if, if this sounds familiar, Taryn. Um, one of my first gigs, uh, when I was just out of the army, um, I, oh no, was I just out of the army? I'm trying to remember. No, 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 I wasn't even army yet. So this is before, this is before the army. This is like when I was 26. Um, I had a, I had a guy who hired me who was a Marine. He was just out of boot camp. He was like six foot four. He was like 220 pounds. He had like a, he, he had a bigger dick than I did. That was a pretty big dick. Oh, uh, he had like ten. It was, it was it was pretty. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and so I went over, and he's hiring me. And this is a guy that I would have paid to hire. Like I would have hired him. He was just absolutely stunning. He was basically like a cross between Michael Yerger and Brendan from or Brandon. What's the the guy who's voted out third? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, whatever. I can't remember his name, but he's gorgeous. I think it was Abs- Brendan. Yeah, absolutely stunning. Um, and so, uh, but the bad part is that it only lasted like five minutes. Like this guy, <laughs> he got off so fast. And after he got off, he was basically like, okay, I'm done. Take the money, go. And I was like, no, like I want to stay. <laughs> like you're really hot. <laughs> Like, no, 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 no. Like every other guy who I'm with, who I don't want to be with, I have to stay there for the full hour. This one guy who's really, really hot. Oh, man. I think I was I was so bummed. I was so bummed when he busted so fast. So. <laughs> uh, like, I, well, you know, if I stay the whole time, maybe you can get a discount. Who knows? Um, right. <laughs> Melissa Rice wants to know, I really want to know what Brent typically wore when he met up with his clients, like the uniform or just street clothes. I mainly wore street clothes. I was always clean. I always made sure I put on, you know, fresh socks, fresh underwear, took a shower. Um, but I never wore anything very 
uh, to use another phrase, like faggy. Like I wasn't gonna wear anything like that uh, made me look like a flaming homo, but <laughs> I wore things that made me look pretty normal, pretty butch. Um, unless they ask for something specific, like if they wanted like a leather jacket, like a motorcycle jacket, like I would wear that. If they wanted me to wear my army uniform, I would wear that. Um, but most of the time, people didn't care. Only, only like ironically, the most I ever dressed up was for Jay. When he hired me, because for those of you who don't know, my partner, we've been together 13 years. He hired me. He wanted me to do a little role playing at the beginning. When he met me, he uh, wanted me to come in for a job interview. And so I had like a, a, a shirt and a tie and a jacket on. And I came in and, you know, with dress pants. And, and so I've never worn anything like that before. <laughs> so that's probably the most I ever dressed up. And look how that turned out. There you go. Uh, Elizabeth wanted to know, uh, can you go into details in your thoughts with the justice system before and after this experience? Do you feel having a lawyer helped, hindered, or didn't affect you? <sighs> I mean, obviously having a lawyer helps, but you have to keep in mind that I got a lawyer essentially pro bono. I mean, I went to the defense for help. The defense said, we want to help you, but we can't because we represent Michael Peterson. We ha So David Rudolph basically called in a favor and got Thomas Laughlin to represent me for the purposes of the Michael Peterson trial. Um, to answer the question, my faith in the United States justice system was very shaken by what happened in, in the Michael Peterson case. Not just because of the way they treated me, but how they treated Peterson. But you know, insofar as how they treated me, they... It was a win-at-all-cost mentality. They didn't give a shit about the truth. They would destroy any lives they could or that they had to in order to win. And um, I always remembered the fact that they told me that I was irrelevant to the case. And then six months later, when they were losing, they sent me a subpoena in the mail in order to get me to testify in order to, you know, do whatever. to throw. Basically, they were throwing shit against the wall, Taryn. And... Uh, I have. Oh, and then, of course, what you guys don't know, who maybe you haven't followed the, 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 the Terrence show very much, is that um, I'm a recovering addict and eventually I got clean. But along the way, I had some some rough patches. And about four months after Michael Peterson, I uh, was illegally calling in prescriptions to pharmacies and I was busted and I went to rehab and I tried to get clean and I did get clean, or at least for a time. And uh, there was a prosecutor who wasn't in Durham. Durham was the county next door. I was in Wake County in North Carolina, which is where Raleigh is located. And her name was uh, Amy Pascadoulas, and she was an assistant district attorney for Wake County. And she, I, we expected, because I was a first-time offender, that she would charge me with a misdemeanor, basically probation or time served. Like, basically, you know just don't do this again and stay out of trouble and you'll be fine. Or even like a pre-trial diversion program. We expected all of that to be on the table. But she went to my attorney with me in the room and she acknowledged that she was going to charge me with a felony and she wasn't going to make a plea deal with me. And he said, why? And she said, because of the crimes that I had, had admitted to committing during the Michael Peterson testimony. And my lawyer said, you can't do that. Like, that was immunized testimony. Remember, my testimony was immunized, which means that it's coexistent with the Fifth Amendment in that it has to be as if I never said it in the first place. And she said she didn't care. I think she didn't know that, that that, that, that was the rule. And she couldn't even use that for the purposes of plea bargaining. 
Once she figured that out, my, my lawyer made a motion to the court and said these charges should be dismissed, and here's why, because it's now tainted, because she's using immunized testimony in, in terms of how to plea bargain this case. And so if, if what my lawyer was saying was true, the charges against me would be dismissed. When, when we went to court, my, my lawyer, in essence, became a witness in the trial, in the hearing. And, and mm-hmm. the prosecutor lady <clears throat> became a witness in the trial. And now there's two new lawyers who are taking their places. So I have a new lawyer, and the prosecutor has a new lawyer representing the state. And they, they cross-examine her, and they say, did you say this to him? Because if she admits saying this to him, the charges against me will be thrown out. Taryn... She lied on the witness stand to the judge. This is what boggles my mind. And I'm looking at the chat room. She was an officer of the court, someone who is bound to follow the rules of the court and follow justice. I mean, you cannot outright lie to the court and to the judge. And yet she did it. They said, did you say those things? She said, no, I did not. That they are lying, that they made that up. And I was stunned. I was like, I, she's lying. But there's no way that I can prove it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I'm honestly, I'm thinking about all of these, uh, you know, I, I, over the last couple of years, whenever uh, somebody like a, a, with Black Lives Matter and somebody, a, a person of color, is you, you basically thrown through the uh, uh, grinder in the U.S. justice system, I always remember that, and, and not that this is true of all prosecutors, but the prosecutor, I've had two interactions with prosecutors in my life. One of them used me in a murder case in order to get a conviction. The other one flat out lied to the court. That really gives me pause, man. Really gives me pause. Eventually, basically, the prosecutor who was the new, was the new attorney for the state, I think he figured out that she was lying. And I think the court knew that she was lying because they knew that my attorney wasn't going to just make something up out of whole cloth. And so he overruled her and said, "Okay, let's just let's just let's make this go away. Let's just get a plea deal. You can plead to a misdemeanor. You know, you don't have you can expunge it after a year. You can get it off your record, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to do any time. Let's just get rid of this. And so that's what we did. And so uh, I pled to a misdemeanor. But. You know, if I don't have, I mean, he, he, first of all, if, if, if that guy doesn't like, if he doesn't have a sense of decency, I would have had to go through a trial with a prosecutor who's flat out lying to the judge. I mean, and that would have cost me even more money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, my, my sense, my, my faith in the U.S. justice system was sh- so shaken by that, by those two dealings. I just, I don't know what to think about that. Because you, you don't want to, you don't want to say to yourself, "Well, not all prosecutors behave that way." But I've only had two interactions with them, and both of them did behave that way. Yeah, uh, I mean, I it, it reminds me uh, watching The Good Wife, which is about lawyers, um, and throughout that whole show, the lawyers are, you know, uh, finding loopholes and finding ways that they can, you know, get their way while telling the truth. And then there's one episode where uh, I believe it's Matthew Perry playing the character um, just like flat out lies 
multiple times and like both uh the main character and the audience is like wait what you're not allowed to do that like this it's all about the the subtle manipulation and just the fact that somebody can just come out and lie and then it's just so effective um is just uh absurd but it clearly happens in real life and uh and can be very effective not only uh i mean luckily you you managed to uh escape that and uh you know michael peterson it eventually was overturned but but uh, th- clearly this sort of thing happens all the time. And uh, I think it's probably indicative of a poor incentive system where, like, these prosecutors don't care about innocence. They care about winning. Right. Like, that's right. Yeah. That's she wanted me the main problem. Right. She wanted me as a trophy on her wall just to explain what was happening. That's the reason she was lying. She knew that I was a high profile defendant. If I was just some Joe Schmo, she wouldn't give a shit about me. But the fact that I was the Brad from the Michael Peterson trial, she wanted to throw the book at me. And listen, that's her right. She could have done that. Here's the other thing that you guys don't know. If she hadn't been dumb enough to say that to my attorney, if she had just said, you know what, I'm using my discretion as a prosecutor, and I don't believe that he is entitled to a plea agreement, I'm going to go for a felony here. If she had just said that, there would have been nothing that we could do. We're totally at the mercy of the prosecutors to charge whatever they want. They have enormous power to charge anything they want under from the gamut, from like the lowest misdemeanor to the highest felony that can either you know take your life away or give it back to you. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm just always shaken by the fact that she lied to the court and then basically the court pressed her on that. Like I remember this judge, it was a different judge. It wasn't Orlando Hudson. It was a different judge. Um, Robert Hobgood was his name. And he, he looked at her a second time. Like, like, did you say any of these things to the attorney? And again, she denied it. And I, I was just like, wow, she's lying straight to his face. That's that's pretty cold. But then I was like, oh, my God, that affects me, you know? So mm. I will tell this, that my my interactions with the justice system after Michael Peterson and then my only my personal interaction with them made it such that uh, I used to believe that the cops were on your side. I used to believe that the, the, the prosecutors were on your side. And I told you I told you this the first time around, Taryn, that I never I don't believe that anymore. I, and mm. that's really that's really a downer. <laughs> like the, the the cops and the prosecutor, they are not on your side. They don't care about you. They just want to win. That's all they yeah. want. Scary. Yeah. Um yeah, we we got to we got to find a better way. Uh we have a question from Nina Stoddard who wants to know after the fact do you wish that you would have met up uh had the meet up with Peterson or were you happy to have not met him Oh I was thrilled that I didn't meet him are you kidding like if I had met him this would have been 10,000 times worse I mean, mm-hmm. I could have been tied to the murder somehow. Like, I don't know how, but I'm sure they would have found a oh, way. Right, yeah. my, my mom was so thankful that I'm so lazy. She's like, oh, thank God you <laughs> didn't go that night. Like, th- thank God you blew him off. You know, like, I mean, I was so, so freaking pleased. And because of that, I was certain that I wouldn't be called as a witness. I was like, well, I never even saw this guy. So there's no way that they're going to call me as a witness. I mean, yeah, I talked to him on the phone and yeah, I exchanged emails back and forth with him, but I never met him in person. So... Yeah, I was I was absolutely thrilled that I was not uh, not uh, uh, that I that I didn't meet up with Michael Peterson that night. 
Yeah, uh, there was somebody who asked earlier, surely there were other escorts that he had actually met up with. Um, I don't think he even denied that. Yeah. So w- why weren't they involved in any way? Um, because they were smarter than me. Basically, I was I was idealistic at the time, and I had been honest with the prosecutors. Like, remember, I willingly went into the prosecutors. They said, hey, we want to call you. We want to we want to talk to you. So come on in and we want to do an interview with you. I didn't know that I could just say no. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know what? I don't have anything to hide and I don't want them to come after me. So I'll go in and talk to them. So I went in to talk to them and I, and I told them the truth. Are these your emails? Yes. Is that you in the picture? Yes. Did you agree to meet up with Michael Peterson? Yes. Did you meet him that night? No. And here's why. And I, I told them everything. The other escorts, they didn't say shit to the prosecutor. So the, the prosecutor could theoretically put them on the witness stand but number one, the pro- the escort might just claim the Fifth Amendment and say, I'm not going to talk to that. And of course, they could grant them immunity. But with the threat of the court holding them in contempt, I mean, just to play out what would have happened, I asked David Rudolph this because I, I, I said, I'm going to claim the Fifth Amendment. I did. And then they gave me an immunity agreement. So once you're given an immunity agreement by the by the prosecutors, that basically supersedes the Fifth Amendment. For those of you who don't know, who maybe aren't from the United States, the Fifth Amendment guarantees that you don't have to say anything that could incriminate you. So obviously, if I testified in the Michael Peterson trial that I was a sex worker, which is illegal in North Carolina, uh, I would be incriminating myself. So that was my out to not have to testify. I could say, you know what? I'm going to claim the Fifth Amendment. I don't have to testify. And girl, bye. But then they gave me an immunity agreement, which forced me to testify. But I asked David Rudolph, I said, well, what would happen if I just refused to testify still? And he's like, well, you could be held in contempt of court. And I was based in North Carolina at the time. And I don't know what Judge Hudson would have done if I if I honestly don't know. I would kind of like to ask him um, what, what would have if I had just said, you know what, I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to. I'm not going to be on the witness stand as a fucking hooker. Basically, um, if I had done that, I think he probably would have let me go. He, mm-hmm. he might have held me in contempt of court for a day or something. Maybe I would have been in jail for a day. But I was looking at the possibility that I would be held in. I could be held in contempt of court for a year. So I could be in jail for a year, Taryn. And I was like, oh, that's that's a that's a dicey dice to roll, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like if I were in that spot, like especially without, you know, hearing about this sort of thing happening, my for my my instinct would also just be like, I'll just do what they want and I'll tell them the truth and they'll treat me fairly. Um, uh, no, they so will I, not. No, exactly. they will not. They will not treat you fairly. <laughs> they will use anything. They will use anything about you. You might even incriminate yourself. Even if you don't think you incriminate yourself, you might say something where they could incriminate you or use something about what you say in a way that you don't intend. The the key to what I'm telling you guys, I'm hoping this this you know when I when I gave my testimony my testimony when I gave my interview about uh, addiction and uh, the medicine that I was on, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, you know what, you changed my life. That sounded like I loved hearing that because I loved hearing from all these people. I'm hoping that my inter- my interview with you today will change somebody's life. If you ever have an interaction with the cops or the prosecutors and they want to talk to you. If you don't have an attorney present, don't talk to them, man. Don't talk to the cops. Don't talk to the prosecutors. They're not your friend. They're not, they're not there to help you. They don't care about the truth. Just tell them to fuck off. Seriously. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. tell them to fuck off, but you know, <laughs> just tell them you're not available. 
Yeah, and it, it's it, it's very it's, it's something that very much goes against I think a lot of people's nature to just be to just stonewall people and be yeah. like, well, no, especially an authority figure. Yes, I wanted to make them happy. I was like, well, I don't have anything to hide. You know, so I'll talk to them. And and plus, I knew that they weren't going after me. They were going after the big guy, Michael Peterson. So I was like, well, it's in my best interest to tell them, tell them the truth because I didn't even meet up with Michael Peterson. And look where it got me. It got me put on the witness stand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, make sure if you have any questions, let me know in the, uh, the Twitch chat. I'm just about out of, uh, the, the questions that I had prepared. So if you guys have anything else that you want to ask, make sure you let us know I have a, now. I have a question that somebody tweeted me, which I don't know if you have it. Do you have any more questions left from the, um, from the ones that people uh, tweeted you? I have a few, but okay. most of them have like mostly been covered already. So oh, okay, go ahead. well, there's one question that uh, somebody uh, tweeted. I think they tweeted me, and then I, I cc'd it to you or something. Um, they said that have you, Brent, have you ever thought about the fact that what the state said happened was true, and that your emails resulted in the death of Kathleen Peterson? Well, uh, the answer to the question is uh, more than you think. Like. It's not every day that something that you do in your life, either directly or indirectly, could be the cause of someone else dying. So when they put forward that theory, and again, I knew she was at the desk for the night of the murder. I knew that my emails were printed out. I knew my emails were on the computer. I'm like, that could be true. I mean, there's no evidence that she saw them, but it, you know, there's no evidence she didn't see them. Um, and so I have confronted the fact a couple of times. My partner's even asked me about that. Like, he's ever, have you ever thought about that? That he's like, I'm not trying to like, you know, throw shade at you or anything, but like, have you ever thought that your, that your emails to Michael Peterson back and forth, like maybe resulted in the death of this woman? And I have, and I all I can say is, uh, like, that really bites if that's true. I mean, like, I don't think it's true, but I, that's just amazing to me, you know, that the, something like that would uh, result in the in a, in the murder of a lovely a lovely woman who was, you know, just great and relatively young and had a great life in front of her. Um, I have often thought about that, and you know, wondered how things would have been different if I had never talked to Michael Peterson in the first place, you know, would would she still be alive today? I don't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately you have to just tell yourself that like, you know, if, if like, obviously if, if you were that instrument, there could have been any number of uh, instruments that, that could have had the same outcome. You know what I mean? Like just because I was um, the instrument doesn't mean that I, that if I wasn't the instrument, I could have been replaced by another instrument that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you know, stuff like this, you know, happens all the time and I'm sure there are plenty of different ways that, uh, that, you know, you unintentionally impact parts of people's lives for the better or the worse. Um, but uh, especially, you know, when it's, it, it, you know, it's something that uh, you have no control over whatsoever, uh, you know, um, it, it's obviously not something that you should uh, blame yourself for. But obviously, it's such a weird thing to think about. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, a weird thing to think about. Exactly. Like, yeah, I, I have like I've sometimes laid in bed and like thought, well, there two, two things. Number one, I thought about her. And I, number two, when, when when Michael Peterson was in jail, I was thinking about him. Like, 
you know, like that my testimony might have directly or indirectly affected the fact that a man is now in jail for the rest of his life. Remember, like most people who are sentenced to jail without the possibility of parole, like 99.999% of them stay in jail. Like they're like him getting out was a complete like aberration. Uh, so I thought for sure he was going to be in jail for the rest of his life. And I mean, I was like, I, I really hope that my, that anything that I said on the witness stand or even my presence at the court, I really hope that that didn't impact his ability to be a free man, you know? I, yeah. Uh, and that was uh Lumberg who asked that question okay. um, on Twitter. Uh, H Stratford wants to know, did they test the printed pages for her thing for, for her fingerprints? You not know? that, yeah, not that I know of. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know the seems answer to like, that question. It seems like an obvious, like, if it were true that she printed out the pages and or saw them, she would have touched them at some point. Yeah, and been but, but the thing is, though, again, that they didn't, like, like, you know, the way trials work, like, they do all of their legwork at the beginning, and then the trial moves relatively quickly, although this one took, like, six weeks. Um, and so... I, they didn't think about this theory until they needed it. Like the theory was mm. the life insurance policy. They never ever put a theory forward that that Kathleen had found these emails and that she confronted Michael Peterson. Like they only did that when they were starting to lose the case, which was like week three of a six week trial or nine week trial, well, however long it lasted. I don't. I can't remember. But it was a long time. And. Uh, I, I thought. I mean, honestly, I think that they probably didn't even know at that point that you know they were the the train had already been moving down the track, and they were just like, "Well, uh, we think that this might be one of the possibilities, and we don't know if her fingerprints are on there or not." And they, I don't know, maybe they didn't even have time to go back and test them. Uh, hell, if I know how it works. Well, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, we saw in the documentary when they went back years later, a lot of the evidence was contaminated because it wasn't properly stored. Um, so you know, that that may have been a part of it as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that's a, that's another thing, too, where it's like, you know, th this idea that and another reason why I think that he shouldn't be convicted because they come up with this theory after I'm, I'm assuming after the fact and they can no longer, um, you know, test stuff. Uh, I guess doc Dr. Angus in the chat is saying getting fingerprints off of paper is very difficult, um, despite what it shows on TV. Maybe that's maybe that's the, the thing. Okay. Um, so uh, who, who knows? But um, it, it's uh, in general, it definitely seems like I mean, I guess it, none of it would have been admissible anyway, because the search warrant was thrown out. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, second time around. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, a lot of shoddy police work here. Um, someone wanted to know if you would ever do Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not even at the level of celebrity that you need to be to be on that show. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm sure that there's some way we could horn-shoe me into a slot on the show, like... The star of the Netflix like uh, hit series on uh, whatever. I mean, like I'm I'm sure there's a way, but in reality, no. I, I there's there's no way it's gonna happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk regular Big Brother first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Jenny wanted to know: uh, did did the prosecutor or judge know that you were using? No, they did not. And I was like. I think I behaved very professionally that day. Again, I wasn't using to the point where I was high. I was just using to maintain a sense of normalcy. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, no one, I didn't, no one knew that I was, uh, using drugs at the, at the time until like, uh, you know, 
Six weeks later, the trial is over, and I get busted for uh, trying to illegally get uh, Vicodin. Yeah. Uh, Tracy wants to know, do we know if Michael is remarried or serious with anyone now? I don't know. And to answer other people's questions, I have never talked to Michael Peterson since he's been out of jail. There's no reason for it. Now, look, not that I would. If he if he wanted to talk to me, I would talk to him. I would talk to anybody who wanted to talk to me. But uh, I, I have no reason to seek out Michael Peterson. Um you know yeah uh and also like the people talking about um him dating the editor therefore that was why the editing was favorable to him um the i mean unless she had a lot of power over the documentary the editor is not usually the one making final decisions on the final cut uh you know they're going to be working with the director it's not like one person could influence the entire documentary in one particular way um you know if, if she if she tried to she could like do her best to to, to do that but uh the director has a lot more influence over the final product um than the editor does in most circumstances okay. uh, so um obviously it still indicates there's some level of bias there um but uh i am more inclined to believe that uh a lot of the bias from the documentary stems from the fact that they were not able to film the prosecution um yeah. more so than it was uh strictly like editing tricks or anything like that that's what I've gotten after the fact. I mean, I, I do feel like that it was a little bit uh, pro-defense based. But then after I realized that they tried to also follow the prosecutors around again, they, they all of these decisions were being made before the case really became fantastic. Before I came in and before the other woman came in, like all before all of that came in, they were trying to get uh, permission to film this trial when it was sort of a run of the mill trial in North Carolina and uh, they, the, the prosecutors eventually ask them to stop. So, you know, nothing you can do. Yes. Uh, Chaka wants to know, why is evidence always contaminated in high-profile cases? It's probably indicative of evidence being contaminated in most cases and that you only hear about it from the high-profile ones. Right, exactly. I think most, most of the time... I, I don't know. I mean, I, like, crime scene work is very... It's not intuitive there there are certain procedures you have to go through and if you're not trained in those procedures you're going to make mistakes yes uh Chaka wants to know did you uh do you think oj did it uh yes i do yeah he's he's guilty of sin <laughs> <laughs> well doesn't derek say uh maybe not i, I didn't watch I derek's never, thing yeah, i never watched yeah. it <laughs> sorry <laughs> i love derek but no <laughs> um uh, <laughs> Uh, and sorry. And, oh, a nervous farter wants to know. Uh, oh God. OMG! What if Michael Peterson wants to rehire Brent again? I am off the table. Sorry. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not totally off the table. If you want to pay like a million dollars, maybe. But he, <laughs> from what I hear, he doesn't have a million dollars. So, look, I tell you what. If if somebody offered me a million dollars, Jay would be like, "You better fucking take that." <laughs> it's like we could do a lot with that money. We could invest that. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so also said his next wife should make sure Michael buys a one-story home, no steps. Oh uh, yeah, right. Oh gosh, no. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, little things like that. You're like, what if they didn't even have steps in their home and he wanted to kill her? How would he have done it then? How would he even maybe? How would he have made it look like an accident? Like, ugh, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, Callie wants to wants to see Brent's Brad page. Uh, the Brad page does it still exist. It does not exist, as far as I know. Um, I've gotten a few pictures. I have. All of the pictures from the Brad page. I sent them in. T I got. I. I didn't because my ex was the one. 
who made the website. And so he had all the screen shares from it. And so he sent them to me when I was sending them to the documentary that was on the Discovery ID channel last month, which, which I was paid for. And uh, so I have those, but I mean, I'm not going to send those. To, I mean, basically it's me from like 15 years ago uh, when I was just out of the army and I'm mostly naked. So, you know, and I will just tell you right now, Taryn, that the, one of the, the funniest things that's happened to me since that interview came out I've had, I don't know how many guys message me who've said, so, uh, you're packing something. <laughs> Basically, they want, they want to see my dick. That's what they want. And I'm like, you're nuts about that. I'm not going to send you a picture of my dick when I'm working for Rob as a podcast. Like, I mean, I'm not going to, like, what, if I send you a picture of my dick and then you tweet it out and then Rob is totally embarrassed if, if he's not embarrassed as things stand, so. <laughs> I'm not going to send you a picture of my dick. Stop asking. <laughs> um, we got a, a donation earlier uh, from Roddy's BB King who wanted to say, you two have entertained me for over three years. Thank you. I hate to interrupt. Uh, so I didn't interrupt. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, tell Brent, hashtag Team Aquaria. He, he loves right. Eureka, but Girl Aquaria deserves it. Oh, is that, is that Umberto? That's probably Umberto. No. I don't know. I don't know. Roddy is BB King. Oh, okay. Uh, big, All right. big Roddy fan. All right. Uh, I mean, I think Aquaria is equally deserving, but I think Aquaria uh, made some... We're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, obviously. I think uh, that Aquaria has made some mistakes at times that RuPaul didn't call her out for, and I think Ru has been very, very uh, flowery with her compliments over Aquaria, whereas I don't feel like the other queens are getting that sort of, um, you know, slack. Yes. Well, uh, hopefully you still see this, Roddy. Thank you very much for the donation. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> Taquan wants to know, is Brent showing his dick the new Taryn shirtless? <laughs> yeah, Taryn shirtless is a person. It's a person in the chat room. It's not, th it's not this Taryn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, can we, uh, Rink Lord wants to know can we start a podcast where we talk about non RHAP covered topics? Um, I don't know, like what? Like, <laughs> Uh, Duke I, I, Wilson wants to say, love the podcast, guys. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, 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 a nervous whoever says, Evil Dick is obsessed with JC, LOL. Yeah, he is. He he tweets all the stuff about JC, but JC is so fun, so I get why Dick does that. And plus, he always retweets the fun stuff. Like, he's the one who retweets, uh, well... Uh, the one I'll say is Kalia. Like, he always retweets Kalia in the bathtub. Well, that was his profile, like, background, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he likes doing stuff like that. He's he's fun. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Annie says, uh, does Tom Mayer, one of the attorneys for Peterson, look like a grown-up Ian Terry? I know exactly who you're talking about. And yes, I, I see that 100%. Yeah, I see it too. Um, also, uh, Ian's looking good, man. He's grown up. He, he's not a little kid anymore. So, yeah. You know, um, it's got a little swag. It's swaggy eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Armad said, "We'd love to see another Terrence show live. This is funny. Yeah, this was fun. Um, I'm de I'd definitely be interested in doing uh, doing one again. It is a, it's a hard show to do live because um, most guests are not." like brent and uh like you know with brent we can talk about anything uh but with other people i might ask them questions and they might be like i don't know if i want to talk about that um so it's hard to do live but uh whenever yes. i can definitely. and just to answer that question too or you never you didn't ask a question but to address that um 
I just told my mom this the other day because there was an article written about me on Bustle. It was like, where is Brent Wagamop, the the uh, escort for Michael Peterson in 2018? And it had a picture of me where I look terrible. It's from one of my slot videos. And it's all about what's happened to me since uh, the Michael Peterson trial. And I'm like, mom, even if I wanted to run away from this, I cannot. Like, it's out mm. there. Like, um, the fact that I was a sex worker, the fact that I was a, a, a witness in the Michael Peterson story, all of that, my, my drug conviction, all of that is out there. I, ha- I mean, I have no choice but to lean into it. Now, I will tell you that given just the kind of person that I am, that I would probably lean into it anyway. But the fact that I can't hide from it makes my decision all the easier. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's really the only choice, I yeah, guess. Like, it's really uh, the only choice. Yeah, yeah, because it's like because it's out there, and if you tried to hide it, it would just be even more awkward. Right, and people would talk about it behind your back, and it, you know, yeah. it would just it would be it would be like you're trying to hide something that you had something you were embarrassed about something. And one thing I've always told you guys is that I was never ever embarrassed about the fact that I was a sex worker. I mean, I did what I needed to do because I wanted to earn some money. And also being a sex worker helped me meet my partner. So uh, actually, my last two partners I met through uh, sex working. So, uh, I mean, I, I, was always, I was always polite. I was kind to people. Um, I was honest. I was clean. I gave them what they wanted. And uh, it was like I, like I said to you in, a pre, in, a, in a part one, I told you it was a little bit like an acting gig where uh, I, I, gave, I gave the fantasy that they wanted for that call and uh, decided to uh, you know, make them happy and make some money. So I met a lot of great people through it. Uh, the Peterson trial was just kind of a weird aberration. But aside from that, uh, my uh, times in the escorting business were, uh, were, were pretty cool. Yeah, Nervous said if that murder occurred 10 years later, Brent would have gotten his own reality show on TV. On, I know, on right? Bitter about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rigatoni wants to know, what are your thoughts on the new Queer Eye? I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's pretty good. I, I really haven't it's watched it, though. I've never... I didn't really want... What, what? What? Sorry. Very strange timing on the question, because I literally just watched, like, the first two episodes oh, really? uh, earlier today. Um, I didn't watch uh, the first one that much. I watched it a little bit because I liked Kyan, but aside from that, like you know, there were- yeah, I I was pretty young when it first came out, so I saw a couple of them, but uh, like wasn't huge into it. But I heard this one was good, so I checked it out. It's it's pretty good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Uh, Frank wants to know what what the name of the drug that you use to overcome your addiction. Uh, is, uh, you know, opiate users who could use the med. Uh, also, does it stop pain or just the craving? Uh, y- yes and yes. It stops the pain. I mean, it, for me, it stops. I mean, well, it depends on what pain you're talking about. If you're talking about like back pain, uh, maybe, maybe not. It, it can help, but I don't know if it's going to totally get rid of it for you. The name of the medicine generically is buprenorphine. Um, that's B E P R E. N-O-R-P-H-I-N-E. But the brand name for it is Suboxone or Subutex. So that's S-U-B-U-T-E-X. Um, it is a medicine that's like a synthetic opiate where it's like half agonist and half antagonist. And it sort of fills your receptors with what you think you need, like when you're using and your receptors need the drug when you're hooked on it. It fills those receptors and basically tricks your body into thinking that you are satiated 
and uh, but there's no real euphoria to it. So uh, that's why it's such a perfect medicine for me. There you go. Uh, now, now there are people arguing uh, old old queer eye was better. No, this queer eye is better. Um, I think the old queer eye was better, but I didn't like that one either. So who am I to, to say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, iconic wants to know: uh, Do you think Big Brother will let you on, or does your past? Do you think your past scares producers? Like I away? said, I and I really do believe this. I am so psyched that JC got on because he's such a piece of trash, and the fact that he got on the show makes me feel so great. Like, like I'm just gonna lean into it, Taryn. Like, uh, I when I audition for any of these reality shows, I'm gonna be like, look, uh, I was in the the staircase. It was on Netflix. Uh, here is here's who I was, and this is what happened to me, and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I tr- turned my life around to look how great I am now. And I, I, I feel like uh, all the possibilities are open. So watch out, world. <laughs> um, uh, we can. Nah, let's not talk about Big Brother spoilers. Um, <laughs> uh, Duke wants to know who among the LFC would do best on Big Brother. Well, uh, according to Brent's version of the brand deal, it would be Brent. Um, really? Is that what I said? According to the Uh-oh. previous one. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're talking about the simulation. Yeah, that was yeah, crazy. Well, was, I didn't. Even, yeah. Look, I was honest in that simulation too. I was like, you know, I, I said that we had a small bond. I didn't even say we had a big bond. I said that you had a big <laughs> bond with Rob. I mean, like, I'm like, well, you know, the thing. somebody what? went through all of the like choices that you made in the relationships and stuff, and like, tweeted. I thought that was hilarious. Right? They're like, what's with what's up with you and Fishback? I'm like, yeah, well, it's okay, <laughs> you know. But I don't, I don't really care for him. He annoys me. He annoys the living shit out of me sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was honest and I tweeted out the simulation and then somehow I ended up as the winner. Like, I didn't even know how that happened. Like that. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm honest with you, though, that I, I, I did that one time and that's what happened. So that was so funny. Yeah, well, because well, like all the everyone else that tweeted was like, oh, Taryn, Taryn's the winner. Taryn's the winner. Oh, and Taryn's you were evicted first. Too. That was the best thing. I was the winner and you were evicted first. <laughs> And this, it, oh. it, so many people touched it, and I was the winner every single time. But the second Brent touches it, I'm first out, and he wins. Uh, <laughs> I, he's, he's, he's my curse or something. Uh, so, uh, so that, that's what that's that's what would happen is uh, I would do well unless Brent was in there with me, right? <laughs> and then you would fail miserably. Um, all right. Uh, Wait, I have to. I have to ask for uh, for all of the ladies and uh, a few of your fans out there. Um, what's up with the beard? Are you growing? Are you growing out a beard, or are you just? Uh, I just haven't. Sh- you I, just I haven't, haven't shaved. used my Harry's razors yet. You haven't used your razors. So, like, when we see you for the morning feeds update, are you going to be smooth, lovely Taryn, or are you going to have this beard going? I, I don't. I, you don't know I, I don't yet. Know. Okay. Do do you want? Should I? Should I? I feel like uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not saying anything. I, I don't want to dog it or praise it. <laughs> uh, you know. I mean. I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to make you go one way that you don't want to go. So and the chat I, room can I tell really, you. I really don't care much. Uh, my I, my face is very uh, very thin at the moment. I've been I've been losing a lot of weight. So um, uh, why have you been I, losing I weight? It's my trainer. I'm, I'm cutting. cutting oh, down. oh, you're cutting. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. All right. I'm it like, does sound you... bad when I say I'm losing weight. Yeah, it, it sounds like you're sick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to say you're cutting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then it's saying you're cutting. Uh, when I was in high school, that was terrible. Yeah, that's to terrible too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh so uh hopefully hopefully i'll be uh gaining some some weight back soon yeah shaggy um, t that's what we need that's, that's shaggy, what we need t. <laughs> shaggy t 
<laughs> um yeah i i need to i need to uh i need to use my harry's that's uh that's we'll, we'll cut some uh some face for facial hair yeah exactly <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you guys for uh, for joining us. This was a lot of fun, Brent. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I had a great time, and uh, it was fun listening to the chat room. I like being interactive like this, where I'm actually like watching the chat as the uh, interview is going along to be able to see what people are thinking and any follow-up questions that they have. So, uh, you know. And no, I'm not growing my hair back out. I have an appointment to get it cut and highlighted two weeks from today. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry that I couldn't get it done right away because I really wanted to have it done before Big Brother, but uh, I couldn't get in. And uh, I decided to, after the chop shop that I had the first time around, when I got my hair cut like, you know, three months, four months ago, I decided to go back to my old hairdresser in Louisville. So I'm actually driving two hours to get a haircut. Can you believe that? Oh, my. I know. I just don't trust anybody else to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. It, 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 it's hard. To, it's hard for me to find people that can cut my hair um, because it's uh, it's like because it's curly. Yeah. Now that, now that I leave it curly. Right. Um, I love your curly hair. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Doom Tribe wants to know. Speaking of chat, is Chatwing done? Um, I, don't I, I, was, know. I was I was expecting Chatwing to be there uh, the other night and uh, it wasn't. So uh, right. I think we're probably I think we're probably moving away from it. I think that there was a lot more activity on the. Uh, oh, the there was YouTube. a ton more activity. I told Rob yeah. that like I loved uh, chatting over on YouTube. Like, so mm. I really hope that they keep that because chatting in the uh, Chatwing. I mean, you know, I know there's some people who really liked it because it was a little more intimate. But uh, I liked having the. Uh, you know, when you could see that there were like 13 people watching, 1300 people watching live on um, uh, YouTube. And, you know, a lot of them were in the chat talking. It was just, it was very, very cool. Yeah. And the the program, I don't know if we're going to continue to use it because I don't know how well it performed. But the program that we were using to stream to multiple places was bringing in the chats from all of the places that we were streaming. So one of the places is Twitch. Um, one of the places was like Periscope and and, and all of those things. So, um I love the video format. The video format was great. Yes. The audio um, format, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully it'll work out. Okay. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, yeah. Because uh, it, it's, it's still the most confusing thing to me because there are still so many people saying, I don't hear Rob. And when I listen to the video, I hear Rob. And I've never in my life had a, a situation where the it's just the YouTube video. Some people hear some people hear one person on the thing and some people don't hear one person that it's baffling to me did, how that now, works. when you listen to the youtube video did you hear rob yeah see i when i listened to the youtube video back i could not hear rob and when That's i listened insane. to it when i listened to it on periscope i could not hear rob were you listening to it on on desktop or on uh, your I, phone i did it on desk i did it on my mac i did it on my pc i did it on my phone wow. i could hear it every single time yeah i couldn't the funny part is that um like I, if I put the phone like right up to my ear, I could hear Rob like like it would be like if he was like a hundred miles away and talking. Like I could barely hear him. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. Some people said they couldn't, and some people said. But then that if I put my headphones in, if I put my headphones in, then I could hear him. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> so, so weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's let's see, Annie or Laurel. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully we get that figured out. Um, I'm, I'm going to try, uh, we're also going to try something for the updates, uh, as well. 
Um, oh no! So, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully that works. I don't know if I'll try streaming everywhere, but uh, we were gonna we were gonna put them on Twitch. Um, but we would love to do Twitch and YouTube at the same time. And by the way, um, for those of you who do join Taryn for the updates, I'm gonna be there at the first update. So yes. uh, whenever that is, whenever the feeds come on, when do the feeds come on? I think Thursday night. Thursday. We think they're thir- we think they come on Thursday night. So when the feeds come on Friday morning, I will be there with Taryn. And we will be talking about what's been going down in the Big Brother house. Yes. Uh, have I thought about Instagram TV? I don't even know what Instagram TV is. It's um, new. I, I just saw the icon pop up on Instagram like a couple days ago. I like just made an Instagram account. So like, oh, really? Uh, a couple okay. weeks. I haven't posted anything on it, but oh, yeah, that's by how the way, far behind I am. I'm so sorry. But uh, you guys, uh, if you do not have my Instagram added, you should. It's, it's, it's the same as my Twitter, One Lucky Gay. That's one spelled out O N E one lucky gay. Um, I do uh, talks on there occasionally, so and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do them, and I like it. It's very interactive. I can have people come on and talk to me, like when you were at the airport with Rob, and people came mm-hmm. on and talked to you. Like it's very very fun. You can actually talk to the fans there, so I can I can talk to people about what's going on in the Big Brother house, especially if I'm not gonna be on the show for a couple days or whatever. I like it a lot better than Periscope. So make sure you have me added. I'm I'm not doing this for any social media followers or anything. I, I can honestly give two shits about that. Um, I just want people to be able to find me. So you need to add me on Twitter. I'm oh, sorry. Add me on Instagram at one lucky gay. And uh, you'll hopefully you'll be notified when I'm doing something live. Yes. Uh, Social strategy Sunday is not going to be going away uh, during Big Brother. We're just going to schedule it differently. So it might be earlier in the day on Sunday. Might be on a Saturday. Um, who knows? But uh, we will continue to do Social Strategy Sundays on this Twitch channel. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing that. And uh, Brent has always got an invitation. Yes. Um, uh, Ray, Ray, Ray Tata says uh, the sound may have had something to do with uh, where it was distributed. That makes sense to me. Uh, he says uh, they were using surround speakers. He seemed to be coming from only one of the speakers while everyone else was on all of them. Um that makes a lot of sense to me. I once okay. had an issue with my speakers where uh, the um, the center channel didn't work, so I got like everything but the the like main dialogue. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, so like, yeah, I, I could see it having something to do with that. I still don't know exactly why it would function the way it did with like uh, working on some but not on others. But you know, <laughs> hopefully, figure it out. Right. Uh, Spicy wants to know where you're back working as a casino worker. Nope, still waiting on my license. I'm obviously, I have an Indiana license. I could go over and work across the river at uh, Hollywood Casino, but I kind of like to gamble there. So uh, I, I'm kind of just in a holding pattern at the moment. Like, you know, that's YouTube channel, traveling, having fun, chilling, watching Big Brother. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this very special Q&A version of The Terran Show live here on Twitch. Uh, if you are listening after the fact, you missed out because we had a lot of fun here. Um, but uh, but I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Um, we'll be back next week, of course. Uh, I've got... Uh, Next week, I, it's already it's already recorded. Um, I spoke with uh, April Lewis from Big Brother 6. Um, wow. next, the next week's Darren show. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, it was kind of a, sh- a shorter one, um, but uh, but she had some interesting stories to tell. She was on uh, so, some interesting shows um, that she talked about. Um, I loved so, her. She was. Yes. I mean, I didn't root for her at the time. Let me be clear. I was rooting for Dan's side of things, the whole Keisha Rennie side of things. But 
She was no, great on that show. April, oh, April, oh, oh, Lewis oh, sorry, April Lewis. Six. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought I'm just talking about April from uh, BB10. April Lewis. I thought didn't you talk? Did you talk to her already? Or Rob talked to her? She she was on a podcast with us for to cover Big Brother. Aha, that's, that's how that's I got, why I got in touch confused because I had I had been in contact with her. Okay, 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 podcast. okay. So now I'm with you now. Yeah. So because in my head I'm like you already talked to her, right? But no, that was for you and Rob when when she was talking about Big Brother. So yeah, very cool. Yes. I like her too. I, I and she also has something in common. I wasn't rooting for her either. <laughs> <laughs> I was rooting for Janelle yes. and Howie, but uh, yeah, she's still fun though. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've been going through the the wiki for uh, Big Brother, um, trying to reach out to people that I was I'm interested in talking to. Um, so if anyone ever, if you have anyone from Big Brother, uh, if you are Survivor, anyone, obviously, <laughs> um, and you and you want to hear from them, uh, feel free to reach out to them. Uh, it's you know it can be difficult for me to uh, get in contact, but if you have a way of contacting them, feel free to reach out to them um, if you uh, if you want to hear from them. And uh, yeah. Look forward to next week. Thank you again for joining us. I'll see you next time. Parents asking questions. Parents finding out. Parents looking deeper. That's what it's all about. It's the Terrence Show.